the doop de doop de doo wop the spooky season. Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is Layers of Eric. Oh, and I guess that makes me Bioseth Infinite Burial at Seth. Hey there, chum. What's wrong? Well, Mr. Eric, oh, it's just been such a wet rag of a week, especially for us Nintendo fans. Alan Wake and being left out in the cold by Konami and Capcom, and we're going to have to talk about all of that in this week's news roundup. Well, ain't that a bite. But come on, sport, buck up. I'm sure it's not all that bad. Well, on top of all that, we have the biggest Nintendo controversy of the year this week in our blue shell topic with Bayonetta that- Whoa, 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 Seth, it, it, it's 2022 that none of the 1950s slang about women, literally none of it works anymore. But hey, how's this? Mario plus Rabbids just came out. Wouldn't it be just a blast to do a top five about the characters we'd like to see come to the DLC? Oh, gee, Wilkers, Mr. Eric, that'd be real swell. And hey, we've got our friend Liam Edwards coming over for the spooky indie showcase to tell us all about Curse to Golf later. Now, doesn't going to purgatory just sound like a hoot? Boy, that just sounds made in the shade. Actually, Eric, what are what are we even doing? I, I I don't even know what we're doing anymore. Let, let's just get the show started. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. We are here and we are happy to be bringing you another episode of All In Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show, where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. But right here, right now, as we're recording this, it's each and every Friday where we record the first segments of our show live on youtube.com slash all on podcast. So Indeed. shout out to everybody who is watching us live right now. Hi, folks. We appreciate you watching us live, and um, yeah, we have a fun time doing it over there on YouTube, which is our new home for these live streams. Yeah, virtual uh, we high got a five lot. for everybody watching live. Yeah, virtual high five for the live audience. Uh, we've got so, so much to talk about, actually, tonight. So um, before we get into it, though, we do have a very, very important matter of business to attend to, Eric. We do. Yes. What is it? The most important thing oh, that we do each and every week. The most important thing. Mm-hmm. Well, like terrible gold diggers, we have to tell all the people who give us money how much we love them. <laughs> that's, that is true. We gotta, yeah, that's right. We gotta shout out our patrons over at patreon.com slash all in podcast, where each and every week, uh, our golden banana and Triforce tier patrons get shouted out on the show. Beginning with our golden banana tier patrons, we want to say thank you to Dan Caparello of the Retrologic Podcast. We want to say thank you to Solo Something of the Film Logic Podcast, uh, Rob Yapel, Third Strongest Mole, Sam also of the Retro Logic Podcast, who I think is streaming like right now. He didn't even normally stream on Fridays, otherwise he'd be here. <laughs> um, Sean Ashton, Sean O'Baggins himself, Tim A, aka Neo Prime 33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt Shy Guy City Murray, as well as Shy Guy, both of them members of the Shy Guy Mod, uh, mod Squad, mm -hmm. and um, Drew Agnew, the handsome host of the House of Mario podcast. Thank you so much to a, all of our a lovely golden bananas. bunch of human beings and wonderful human beings. Speaking of. Uh, Matt, 
Shy Guy City. They just began an endeavor this week, didn't they, Seth? That's true. Yeah. Um, big, big shout outs to them. Um, so Matt and his wife, actually, this has been cooking up for a long time. I wasn't um, invited. I wasn't invited either. I invited myself. <laughs> um, so <laughs> like, here's, so. here is stuff. Take it. Basically, um, and, I, and look, I'm, I'm sure he'd be happy to have, have you write something. But so what it is, um, they launched an endeavor called Critical Diversions. Um, I'll actually I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into what we've been up to. But yes, uh, Critical Diversions is a new endeavor from Matt and his wife and some friends that I have also added a little bit of a piece to. And I'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a second. But first, I want to shout out our Triforce tier patrons dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. we need to shout out josh vaughn the godfather of tingle love tuesday oh god gotta shout him out <laughs> uh john cummins of the retrologic podcast completing the infinity gauntlet of retrologic co-hosts as well as on topic retro we need a globe trotten we need an actual like yeah. infinity gauntlet now. an actual gauntlet <laughs> yeah yeah the globe trotten jet setting planet excavating sparky uh, we love you, Sparky. Brand new Triforce tier patron, actually, Adam Caparello of the uh, Retro Groove podcast, who has been on this show. Um, Adam is a is a great friend and um, and now is a Triforce tier supporter. So thank you so, so much, Adam. We salute big you, shout sir. outs. Yes, big shout outs to Adam for joining the Triforce tier patrons. And um, of course, the most legendary and beloved Triforce tier patron of them all. Hunkle. Randy. That's right. That's right. I love you. Throwing back to Sparky, though, for a second. He got me, like, super nostalgic this week. Uh, Our our top five last week had to do with, uh, oh, man, it was um, uh, uh, games that really use darkness uh, in Mm. a really unique and interesting way. And this created this big Nintendo Land discussion in the Discord, oh, right. and I've been jonesing for a Nintendo Land sequel like all week now. I was like, "Oh my god, we need <sighs> a new one." I know, I know. I really would love a new Nintendo Land. Nintendo, Doug Bowser, if you're tuning in right now, uh, we would appreciate a new Nintendo Land for Switch, please. Yes, Nintendo be... Switch Land. Come on, I know make it happen. They're not going to. I mean, heck, we're about to get a couple more party games on the Nintendo Switch, but we shall talk about that in due time. Yes, but thank you to all of our patrons, Golden Banana tier, Triforce tier, even the One Up tier. Thank you guys yeah. so much for your for your love and support. Um, thank you, Uncle Randy. As always, we love you, Uncle Randy. But sir, what's been going on in your world this week? So what's been going on in my world this week? So last week it came, I spent a lot of time playing spooky, spoopy games last week. I played Mm -hmm. a ton of stuff. Not so much this week. I did play a lot of stuff, uh, still grinding out something very specific in Capcom Fighting Collection. And uh, I did actually admittedly have, you know, it's been kind of a, it's been kind of a week for, for, for bad evenings. But uh, I had maybe the most infuriating JRPG session of my life this week. <laughs> On Earthbound? On Earthbound. Yeah. So Earthbound doesn't really pull any punches coming out the gate. 
they immediately throw like debilitating status effects. You immediately run into enemies that can siphon your magic points. They call them PP, psi points in the game. Mm. You immediately start running into enemies that can add more enemies to the battle. And it's a while before you actually get your even second party member in the game. You're running around just as Ness for several hours. Uh, so, I mean, I, I died several times, but I <laughs> you get, with each new party member you get, you get extra inventory space because each person can hold right. items. But when you just have Ness... You basically only have the ability to hold just the items, the key items that you need at that time, plus like one or two extra things. So if you get hit with a status ailment, like if you get mushroomed or if you get, <laughs> it's, it's effectively the equivalent of poison in the game. You get a cold. Right. Yeah. Uh, you basically have to hightail it back to the hospital to fix that immediately. You got to spend more money. You got to hightail it back. You got to fix that immediately. And I honestly didn't know this, but Ness gets Ness has a couple different different weapons. Obviously, the baseball bat, especially because of Smash Brothers, is his most iconic. But mm-hmm. he gets a slingshot as well, or can get a slingshot. I didn't know this. Sam, thankfully, uh, you know, learned me up on a, a couple things. He's the expert. He is absolutely the expert. expert. I I absolutely bow to his, you know, I'm a very learned gamer myself, but when it comes to knowledge of the mother series, I definitely defer to his expertise. And apparently specifically one of the things about the slingshot is it's low accuracy rating. And I was, man, (laughs) the number of times I would miss legit like three or four attacks in a row. While I was just getting pummeled, while I was just having my all my magic points siphoned, while I was getting mushroomed and well, getting a cold for just hours, for just hours trying to save Paula and finally get that second party member. It was just an exercise in frustration. It really was. Like getting Paula really feels like the breaking point for the game. Like you finally passed that plateau. But man, just a couple hours up to getting Paula. If I, I mean, the the slingshot gives you extra damage. But when it comes to a lot of other stats like accuracy and stuff, unfortunately, Earthbound, because it was made for the Super Nintendo back in the mid 90s, there's a lot of things that the game doesn't overtly tell you that do yeah. come into play. And man, just, just the beginning of Earthbound, just leading up to getting your second party member. I'm not going to lie, like for the first time in a while, I had to step away from my console once I finally got Paula. So that was who and you get her at level one, which means like she immediately dies the second anybody even looks at her, which means you got to go spend more money to revive her. You know, you become too soft. All these modern JRPGs softened you up. (laughs) There is a reason for a lot of those uh, quality of life improvements, though. There's a good reason for it. But uh, man, I'm, man, my oof, Earthbound this week. I got Paula. I have I have breached the barricade. I have hopefully it's going to be a little bit smoother sailing, a little bit less RNG, and a little bit more tactical. That you know I'm not going to die just because the 
the computer decided that I missed a hit. I'm going to die because of right. my inferior tactics. So, but you know, whew, I reached that point. Good. Whew, I can come down now a little Ooh, bit. Saw. Yeah. Saw. <laughs> uh, but even though I wasn't able to do too much in regards to spoopy video games, that is not to say that I didn't do anything to celebrate spooky season this week. Far from it. In fact, I got the Peacock streaming service basically because I'm a big wrestling nut. You guys know this about mm-hmm. me. I'm a big fan of WWE and AEW and WA and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, if you want to watch WWE pay-per-views, you basically have to have Peacock. So that's why I got the streaming surface, but ne- uh, streaming service. But I never really took a look at it until this past week. I just jumped on. There I was like, what the heck? Let me. See. I, I'm paying for it. I might as well at least right. see what's on here. And turns out Peacock actually has uh, something very near and dear to your heart, my friend. They have like the entire classic Universal Monsters collection. Yeah. Yeah. So you love to see it. I, I did love to see it. So the second I saw that Universal, like that classic Universal collection, I was like, this is absolutely what I'm doing for Halloween. So this past week, I I watched uh, I watched uh, Dracula, the Bela Lugosi Dracula. I watched Frankenstein, watched The Mummy, and I watched The Invisible Man. Bride of Frankenstein's my favorite. That's my favorite Universal Monsters movie. Really? Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's... They're all great. I love them all. Yeah. But yeah. It is really interesting going back to those movies that were made literally 90 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interested to see what Universal is going to do here in about eight years for the 100th anniversary of a lot of those. That'll be fun. But, you know, that's well away. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, just, just going back and watching those original classic because they're referenced in everything. Everything Halloween or spooky-based, they've been parodied a billion times. Most people think Dracula actually sounds like Bela Lugosi at this point. You know, Pretty much. I am from Transylvania. I've come to suck your blood. You know, that's where that All began. That stuff. That's where that that's, began. Yeah. Those are the genesis of every like trope, every, you know, the things that seem like rote or, you know, kind of standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where at at one point they weren't and it. You know, they, they, it all began there with those movies. What's crazy though, is, you know, whenever, whenever anybody parodies or, or emulates Bela Lugosi's uh, Dracula, they do it as this kind of camp thing. And don't get me wrong. It did feel a little camp, but there's something about Bela Lugosi's, performance that even though it was a little camp he was still able to do it with this charismatic kind of definitely dread mm-hmm. like there was still a threatening aspect to his character despite being a little camp which is a ridiculously thin line to walk but it was it yeah. was so great he, he was so fantastic I feel like I know what this week's side quest needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to say about this. I'm kind of biting my tongue. Yeah, well, fair enough. Well, then let me just go ahead and shut up because, <laughs> I mean, we've still got plenty to talk about, but there wasn't like, I didn't really want to start any games this week because I knew the second right. that Thursday came that yep. my card was going to be full. Been waiting on this game for ever for like a year and a half now i have had this background on my phone (laughs) for a good year and a half i've had this background on my phone waiting for this week and sure enough we finally got mario plus rabbit sparks of 
hope and having beat the entire first area of the game and putting uh, put about five hours, five, six hours into the game already, I can, like already it's everything that I wanted from the sequel, genuinely. And I cannot wait to play the rest of it. That is going to be one heck of a fun review for both of us, Seth. But uh, I, I don't want to get into it too much. But yes, we've been waiting on this one for a long time. Eric, very happy. Yeah, I'm really happy with it too so far. I uh, I'm only like an hour in, but um even just like the little bit that I've been able to play, uh, I've been very very happy and very impressed and it's just yeah, it's it's exactly what I want. I can't wait. This weekend's all about Mario Rabbids. Yeah. That's like all I'm doing. Yeah, and I'm so. I'm so glad for your sake that we have this to fall back on this weekend because I know that you sir didn't really have the best experience with another game that you were really looking forward to this week. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess, yeah, we I guess gotta, we, we got to talk just, about it. Yeah. We should just go ahead and talk about it. Cause that is one of the things I've, I've actually been kind of up to a lot this week. Yeah. Um, Alan Wake remastered uh, shadow dropped on Thursday out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. No, you know, fuss, no nothing. Just shadow dropped. And I've been super excited for this. If y'all been listening to the show for a long time, you know, like they, they announced it earlier this year to be released this fall. Um, I think I was even talking about it. I don't know if it was on the show or if it was in the Discord. I was like, okay, like, where is it? You know, because like it was getting late in October and we were supposed to get it this fall. You've mentioned sure enough, it directly shadow to drops, me, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't remember where it was or if it was on the show or not, but but I was kind of getting worried about it. They release it unceremoniously uh on Thursday, just kind of drop it, and I immediately bought it. Oh yeah. Because of course I did. And oh, Alan yeah. Wake is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Um I've been waiting on this one too because I never got the ability to play it on the 360. Yeah. I've been really stoked to play it, especially figuring that it was gonna come out this month. I was like, oh, that's the perfect game to play. Perfect game to play yeah. for October. So I was looking forward to it too. It's an excellent, excellent game with an awful, awful switch port. Um, it is heartbreaking. It like actually deeply depressed me in a way that like video game experiences don't usually. I try really, really hard. That's one of our mantras here, like to be as positive as possible, you know, to try to be a shining light, to try to offer constructive criticism and things like that. But this is genuinely one of the worst Nintendo Switch ports I've ever seen, especially to be flanked by amazing ports like Nier Automata and No Man's Sky and then Persona 5, which just came out. Yeah. You know, these really like well done ports. And then to have Alan Wake just kind of dumped out in the middle of it with no pomp or circumstance and it's terrible. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll get into specifics too. Yeah. Um, it's not only is it visually like subpar, like people, I think game explained it a side to uh, side to side comparison. Like visually it literally looks worse than even the original Xbox 360 version. Like the textures don't look as good as they did even on 360. <laughs> well, which it was, it was our mistake. Honestly, a lot of people thought, that it said remastered, but if you scratch out the R a little bit, it actually says demastered. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, somebody like somebody on Twitter, because uh, I had posted a little clip of it on Twitter. I made a YouTube video for it. It's here on the YouTube channel if you want to see it um, just in motion. It's just like literally like 40 minutes of gameplay. I didn't edit it, didn't you know alter it in any way. It's just the game. Um, 
you can tell immediately when you start playing it that um that the frame rate is just under 30 like immediately it's like hovering around 20 25 frames a second the entire way through and it'll sometimes dip even lower than that and it's like distractingly bad frame rate and you can act, you can see this happen in real time i'm playing it and i'm like ugh you know i can kind of get over the way a game looks like i could get over the visuals right i could get over that i'm not a big graphics guy yeah we're Nintendo Switch fans. We're used to concessions having to be made. Yeah, we also, know? I mean, we love a lot of indie games. I mean, we talked about uh, a game, I mean, when I was talking about In Sound Mind, In Sound Mind is not a graphical powerhouse. It, you know, is from an indie studio, but the game makes up for, you know, those graphics with a ton of personality and creativity and a lot of charm. This was yeah. a AAA game from a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah, and and so, you know, I could kind of get over it looking bad, but the frame rate being as bad as it was was actually, like, distracting to the gameplay. But then, like, the cardinal sin of it all was there's a moment where you go on to Cauldron Lake, which is sort of like the big sort of, you know, and you're kind of first getting into the town and everything. It's this big introductory sequence. You're on the ferry with your wife, Alice, and everything. And I'm literally, I'm looking out, and you're normally, you're supposed to see, like, mountains and stuff, kind of lush, like kind of green it's in the pacific northwest you know vaguely so it's supposed to look like kind of colorado oregon sort of look to it um and i'm looking around and i'm like this doesn't look i'm like the the mountains are all white like it like is did they change it to look like it has like snow on the mountain or something and then i look a little bit closer and not only did the entire mountain textures just not load but there were even some other textures that were just like green spots on the white mountains. And I was like, this is inexcusable. Like I just, I was trying to be like understanding about it, but like stuff like that is inexcusable. I, I just don't get it. And then like, there were little things like I was walking around at towards the end of the video. There's a moment where I was just kind of walking around in a very, you know, normal area. And this fence that was like maybe 15 feet in front of me. If yeah, that, I saw that was part, like yeah. popping in and out. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? Like, what is going on? I don't understand. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a bad port. And so I, I mean, like, and I hate to say this, it breaks my heart to say this. It really does. But I cannot recommend the Nintendo Switch version of the game until they patch it, optimize it, whatever they need to do. And I hope they do because it's such a special game. It deserves a special port on the Nintendo Switch. I just, I cannot. I would rather you experience the game literally anywhere else i would rather you dust off an xbox 360 and play it that way literally <laughs> stick so. stick your hand out that's the game's draw distance yeah it's it's so bad i just i don't i don't understand so that that was upsetting like really deeply upsetting to me i know it was um but it is what it is man um Alan Wake's on Switch. Yay. <laughs> yeah, Alan, yay. <laughs> yay. But, but immediately, and this is something you already kind of touched on, but there, there were those people that were like, well, what did you expect? It's the Nintendo Switch. I'm like, can we get past this archaic argument? Because that has no bearing on this situation. It's not what it whatsoever. is. Whatsoever. If you're trying to port no. a PlayStation 5, a native PlayStation 5 game, yeah, sure. We understand because we had to take some concessions with... Uh, uh, Life is Strange True Colors last year, and we yeah. knew that, but 
this is again a decade old Xbox 360 game. This should have been a slam dunk. This should have been yeah. a slam dunk. Again, and, and there's no excuse for it. you can't possibly say anything, especially when your book ended, like you said, by ports. Uh, we haven't played it yet, but by all accounts, the Persona 5 Royal port is amazing. The Near Automata port by your own admission set is amazing. Yeah. So it really just is inexcusable. It, um, and I hate to say it because again, I was super looking forward to this as well, but I, I'm going to have to defer to my co-host on this and that very obvious video that he took where it basically just looked like, you know, some wireframing, like actual wireframing going on with you the can, textures yeah. for this game. I'm not going to play yeah. that. No, I mean, literally, I mean, you can you can watch, you can go on the YouTube channel and watch it for yourself. I did not alter the footage whatsoever. It's just 40 minutes of just raw gameplay. It's just literally the first 40 minutes of the game. You can see it in motion. I, I should say, too, because I was actually wrong about this. I thought that Remedy did this um, internally. Turns out it was actually this, this studio called D3T, I guess it's D3T. I don't know if it's supposed to be debt or something like that. I don't know. But D3T is, is the studio that ported it. Guys, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to patch this. Like it needs it. It deserves some special attention because like Nintendo switch fans should have a good version of this game to play. So, so (laughs) this is kind of bad, but I mean, it's, let me see. It's the, the name of the studio is D3T. Mm-hmm. Don't touch this title. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So that's you know that yeah makes me sad, but but it is what it is. Um, I think there remedy needs good to come things, in though. and remedy the situation. Though. Maybe they do. I'm sorry. Maybe that's they do. Of the I bad don't know. Jokes for me. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I did have some good games that I played this week, though. Uh, I've been playing Inscription quite a bit. Yeah, Mario Plus Rabbids. We kind of talked about that, of course. Uh, I've been playing that. I'm gonna be playing a bunch more of that this weekend. But um, I've been playing a bunch of Inscription, gearing up for the Backtrackers that uh, that happens uh, about once a month in the Carpool Gaming community. Uh, love those folks. And um, the, the the game for this month is Inscription, which is not on the Nintendo Switch yet. We have reason yet. to believe it's coming. Um, it has been rated for the Nintendo Switch, yes, so I'm kind of just waiting on that. Yes, yeah, please. just waiting on that announcement. Where's that at? You know, it's perfect for this month. It's nice and spooky. Uh, it's a great game. I'm really enjoying it. Very meta. It's like very RNG-based, though. It's kind of this deck-building roguelike thing. Um, like a... Like a deck building roguelike card game, um, dungeon crawler card game. It's hard to describe, um, but yeah, it, it is. It's very RNG focused, so it is at once like super interesting, but also super frustrating. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, I've been enjoying that quite a bit. When it comes to Switch, I mean that's an easy indie showcase someday, like for sure. Whenever we get a chance to get that on Switch and play it, yes. Um, Speaking of indie games, I uh, I just earlier today I actually won a giveaway. Oh, nice! Which was weird. Um, I th- there was a giveaway from um, from the studio that made this game that just came out this week called Spin Frog. 
which um, I've been looking forward to this game for a little while, oh, basically that, ever since the, I learned about it. Is that the Hellerin spiritual successor? Yeah, it's the um, it's essentially like like an indie Kuder Kuder Kuderin. Yeah, basically. Um, it and and that's this studio. I for, they're called like. I forget what they're called. They're called like something we made or, or it's something, something cute or something, yeah, something like that. It's something, something. Um, I'm blanking on their name. I apologize. But um, they basically make, if there is like a unique game, uh, gameplay concept that like an entire game should be made about or has been dormant for a while, those folks will uh, will like make a game about it. So their previous game, Bonito Days, is essentially Monkey Target made into a full game like monkey target from super monkey ball the game that's basically it <laughs> um this is like hey there hasn't been a kudurin game in a long time we're just gonna make one um and it's really good i've been playing that quite a bit today i entered in a giveaway for a code and i want a code uh matt shy guy city you want a code yeah i saw him post so, some stuff online yeah. today so <laughs> yeah so we both won codes and um, yeah, it's just, it's been fun. It's just been like a really fun, I'll probably make a video about it at some point. Um, it's, it's everything I want it to be. It's actually really like polished and well put together too, um, which is cool because Bonito Days, like I really enjoyed it, but it, it is kind of like more of a rough around the edges kind of experience. This one feels very like well put together. Um, the music's great. Level design's really good. If you if you like Kurorin, which it's such a obscure game, I can't imagine many people even know what it is. But it's like <laughs> this kind of kind of puzzle series where you play as this like constantly spinning like helicopter blade essentially. So you have to navigate levels while the blade is spinning. Ironically enough, it's, it's probably most people know it from Super Smash Brothers Brawl as an assist trophy. Yeah, yeah. So Studio it's kind of an obscure somewhere, series. by the way, studio somewhere. Oh, apparently. So, okay. Okay. Got it. Studio somewhere. Yeah. Um, I really like what they're doing. I really like their kind of vibe. So, um, but yeah, so their new game spin frog been playing that nice. Um, and then speaking of Matt, I just want to really quickly circle back to critical diversions, which, um, Matt's been on this show. He's been on Keep Nintendo Weird, and I think both times he's kind of talked about this kind of mysterious project that he and his wife have been working on. Mm -hmm. And they revealed this week um, that this project is called Critical Diversions. And essentially what it is, it is a series of essays uh, written about a ton of different video games. I won't reveal what they are here because I'm going to let him do that when the time comes. But there's a, it's a collection of essentially essays about just a ton of different games written by him mostly, but also some other people, um, that he knows friends of his, they've all sort of compiled, um, you know, essays. And then for many of them, his wife also has an accompanying, uh, accompanying uh, art piece that she has done like a beautiful watercolor yeah she does his wife is charming art yeah his wife's wonderful artist i've got Um, got some room on my my wall over here if you're taking commissions (laughs) yeah yeah she she's a wonderful artist so she's she's gonna have you know all of these essays art associated with them and essentially matt is like formatting and organizing them like a like a magazine sort of it's not going to be printed physically at least not yet it's going to be put up online but i'm I'm sure he would love to print it physically at some point but i think to to start it's going to be put up online it's going to be formatted and, and look nice and everything that's what he's been working on and so i was sort of just like oh wait 
I, I would love to be a part of this. It, I, I basically just DM'd him. I was like, next time, you know, if you guys do like a series two, I would love to write a little something to add to it. And he's like, well, you know, it's not going to be out for, you know, a little while yet. If you, you could probably get in on it now if you wanted to. So I was like, okay. So I wrote um, an essay for that about Night in the Woods um, which is a game that's very, very special to me. And I have a very special connection to that game. And I wrote, um, a little essay about it to add to that, to that project. So, um, yeah, that was really fun. It was, and I love writing. So I love to just sit and write about, you know, stuff and yeah. You know, they should maybe think about a way to publish some of these. It's too bad that you and I don't know an incredibly talented artist who writes a lot about games and hand draws a lot of his own art and happens to have just launched a uh, a new magazine style publication. It's too bad we don't know anybody like that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that's something that they're probably looking at. Um, I'm sure they would love to do that. So, you know, baby steps though. I think, I think to start, I, I don't want to like dedicate, I don't want to say anything about a timeline. I don't know. I know that he's planning on doing it reasonably soon. I just don't know. I don't want to like throw any dates out there and get anybody's hopes up, but it should be by the end of the year. This should launch and you guys can read uh, all of the stuff. Look at all the gorgeous art um, for critical diversions. They, um, their Twitter handle is at crit underscore diversions. Um, we're, we're following them. We've been tweeting about it and stuff. I'll have a link in the, uh, in the description so you guys can check them out. Um, definitely recommend giving them a follow because it's going to be a really, really special little project and like personal stories. Um, some of them are just kind of more like straightforward video gamey kind of essays, but like, then there are some pieces like the one I wrote, it's like a very personal piece, you know, and, um, kind of stuff that I've wanted to say about that game for a long time that I finally have like a sort of outlet for, um, even if like, and we should do an indie showcase on night in the woods, but like, I have things to say about that game that really aren't even appropriate for an indie showcase. So this was like a great outlet for just things that I've wanted to say about that game for a long time. So anyway, I'm very excited. Um, when it gets a little bit closer, uh, I think we're, we're probably gonna have to have Matt just back on the show to, to kind of talk about it some more and, and shed some more light on it. Yes. Night in so, the woods. How do I love thee? Let me count yeah. the ways. <laughs> Let me count the ways. Oh, night in the woods. So yeah, it's, um, it's a special, special project though. And he's obviously a treasured community member and a moderator. And, uh, we just want to put the full force of all in behind him and that project. So, um, anybody out there listening, please go follow and, uh, and support those people doing really special work. Um, but Eric, we have got some really important things to talk about. It's been one heck of a news week. Yeah. And um Yeah, I think I think really what wait, do you hear that? Oh god. Already it hasn't even been oh. Yeah, so <laughs> this past week, this past Saturday, basically as our episode was going live celebrating 15 years of Platinum Games and looking back on their storied history, literally basically as that episode and as that segment was going live. Brilliant timing on our part, really. Perfect Just timing. brilliant. Just perfect timing <laughs> on our part. Classic me. <laughs> <laughs> 
the previous voice actress of Bayonetta, and of course you guys all know this by now, but the previous voice actress of Bayonetta, Helena Taylor, published a video and a series of comments to her personal Twitter page. Uh, I mean, we're not going to quote the entire thing, but you guys know what she said. She uh, commented that uh, she left the project because the final offer that Platinum Games made her was $4,000 total for the entire project, believing that even though it was legal, she called it, quote, immoral. Um, so that stirred up a massive, massive hornet's nest this week with uh, Kamiya immediately coming out in the incredibly tactful, incredibly uh, democratic way that he's used to, that we all know him for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and immediately came out and tried to shut her down, which just stirred the pot even more because like he should have known, he should have known that the people that he was going to be trying to talk to were in that moment, at least so far behind her that they were going to, com- they were going to be completely deaf to whatever he had to say anyway. But in right. the following days, it came out, that or Bloomberg published a report seen, uh, saying that they had seen documents uh, in regards to the negotiations in which she had actually been offered about four times that and was actually seeking six figures, which is why they ultimately decided not to retain her. Six now, figures and residuals. Six figures and residuals, to the according to the yeah. document. So, Seth. There's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to unpack here. So let's just begin with her her initial statement because this speaks not just to a single role. This speaks not just to a single game franchise. It doesn't even speak to just a single company. This speaks to an entire profession. Yeah. And my biggest problem with Helena's original statement was the fact that she basically didn't care about any of that. It was all her. She, in her statement, she didn't feel that she was owed or that she deserved more money because of the quality of her performance or her loyalty to the brand in her own words, she felt she deserved more money because she, quote, had spent a total of seven years honing her craft at these amazing schools and under the, the amazing tutelage. And I, I, I know that that actually rubbed a lot of professional voice actors the wrong way on Twitter because it, it, it really seemed like she was just saying, hey, you know, I, I, I put the work in. I don't know. I don't care about anybody else, but I put the work in. Therefore, I deserve more money. And the thing is, the four thousand dollars that she even the let's just say that everything that she said was accurate. Everything she said was true, regardless of the Bloomberg report that came out. Uh, let's just take it at her word that all of that was was completely accurate. Um, to to. If to put it against platinum, if that was if their initial offer was below four thousand dollars, yeah, shame on you, platinum. Uh, but four thousand dollars is 
the standard for the amount of work that they were asking of her. Was the legal union approved voice actor, uh, the union approved voice actor, the, uh, it's the, the screen guild actors. Well, it's, it's the specific union that these voice actors all, uh, belong to. It's a, it's a, like a nine letter acronym. I can't remember it's, the whole thing. It's an understood industry standard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because the amount of work that goes into it on their behalf, and this is something that Helena uh, fully admitted to, that the entire, like an entire project, one of these games would take her 16 hours, four days in the booth, four hours a day. Uh, that, that seems like a ridiculously small amount of time. And even when she said this in the interview, the the interviewer actually is like, are you serious? That's all it takes? Like, yeah, I, you know, I have a really good relationship with the voice director. We just, you know, we do three versions of a line, but, you know, we move on. We're very efficient. So that that ultimately comes down to about $250 an hour. But even if you think that she deserves more, even if you think that the, even if you think that's not enough, even if you think she's being undervalued, which to be fair, I do based on that $4,000. I do feel that she deserved more than the standard based on that. Um, but even if you feel she deserved more, the way she handled that, I think was just incredibly poor. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, um, I think that there there are a lot of like little ins and outs and a lot of different facets to this. Um, yeah, what we know is that the industry standard for kind of normal voice actor work, you know, things like motion capture. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, they would pay Troy Baker more. It's like, well, Troy Baker does motion cap. Like, yeah, Troy Baker made more than four thousand dollars to make The Last of Us. Like, yeah, we can we can probably safely assume that, right? But it's a different kind of work. That's the kind of thing when you enter into a negotiation. For Helena Taylor to come in and do Bayonetta for 16 hours, then yeah, that which is you know $250 an hour, 16 hours, $4,000, that's the standard rate, right? Um, now, according to these documents from Bloomberg, which, you know, again, yeah, exactly. I, it's he yeah. said, she said at this point, we're never going to know the truth, yes. right? We're never going to know the truth. And to be fair, we have specifically taken Bloomberg to task a couple times in regards to their uh, incredibly, <laughs> incredibly poor reporting of the, at the time, upcoming Switch Pro, quote unquote. Yeah. Now, now that was Bloomberg Japan and stuff. And the, the, the reporter, Jason Schreier, has a pretty good track record for, you know, tracking stuff like this down. He says he's actually seen documents from multiple sources. It's been corroborated by other places. Blah, blah, blah. That's fine. Regardless, we're never going to know the actual story because Helena has refuted that immediately. No, that's a lie. It was $4,000 flat. There was no miscommunication. That's a lie. So it's, it's he said, she said at this point. Like we're, we're just, we're never going to know. Um, but you know, the, the, the prospect was in those documents apparently that, yeah, it was four sessions of $4,000 each between three and $4,000 each. Um, I think it was like a minimum of 15 K that she would, and then she hit them back saying, no, I want a six figure, you know, payout. And I want residuals by the way, residuals are essentially unheard of for video game voice actors. It's, it never happens. Um, the reason we know this 
is because of many voice actors like Sean Chiplock, who has been on this show. Yep. Um, he, uh, he was very kind of public and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth or misquote him or anything like that, but he was very kind of publicly talking about the business of voice acting saying, here's how it is. Yeah. Um, for breath of the wild, I made about three K to voice Rivali and Teba and the great Deku tree, because like, look, you're, you know, and a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, Chris Pratt made more than that to voice Mario. I'm like, he's Chris Pratt. And He's going to be going on like tours and he's going to be doing, you know, press interviews and things like this for the next year about the movie. He's going to be like forever, you know, tied to to this movie. And it, it, it is a different style of work. Shout outs to Bowser here in the live chat. I would also like six figures and residuals for 16 hours of work. I mean, that's, you know, that's essentially like what we're talking about here, you know, regardless of anything else. Um, you know, th- these people work hard. But we yeah. sort of as as a kind of um, as a kind of culture and as a uh, union of these actors, there's a reason why that is kind of the understood standard. Now, do I think it should increase? Yes. Do I think that they should be awarded residuals for major games like this? Yes. You know, like I total I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah. And I think that if you saw that, if if things like options for residuals were on the table, you would have voice actors doing it for free. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah. If you said, "Hey, uh you can be a voice in Breath of the Wild and rather than paying you, we're going to give you a cut of the total sales in perpetuity." Every single voice actor on there would do that for free. Yeah. I'm just going to say that right now. Yes, yeah, Seth so, and I have been you know, very vocal about our support of unionization and, you know, these types of big deals. Time. Uh, if you want to, I mean, if you want to increase the standard, the opportunity is there. You don't have to scapegoat a company who is a, who is applying by the union and industry set standard, who is applying by, who, who is, uh, uh, who is appealing. What's the word I'm looking for? Who is, Jesus, uh, you don't have to scapegoat a company who is basically going along with the deal that yeah. was set in place. I mean, there was actually a video game voice actor strike back in 2016 and 2017 that that dealt with with all of this stuff. So if you want, if you feel that industry wide, you're not making enough, if you feel that it's, you know, it's just not enough based on what you have to do, because, yeah, I mean, I can sit here and say that I would love to make $250 an hour, which I certainly would, but that's, you know, you also got to find multiple projects. I assume that Helena was not staking her entire year's income on this one project. I would assume and hope that she had many other things in the works. Uh, You know, it, it did kind of feel that, and granted, yes, you know, Bayonetta is a very famous franchise now, and she was the voice of the first two game so she does feel very much attached to it but to not be in bayonetta 3 it almost from her perspective it almost felt like she was you know losing out on a major part of her career uh right so yeah and and it's also you know it's one of those things too where like when you take on a role like this you you sort of i mean they're going to be going to conventions signing oh yeah you know making autograph revenue and things like that based on these characters doing cameos and you know there there are a lot of kind of ways to skin this cat and you know there are a lot of so so it's like you can't really apply 
the lens of like other business structures and other even contractor structures to this because there are so many different facets to it. You know, like if you if you're a voice actor and you feel like you're underpaid by a project or whatever, yeah, you maybe you feel like you're underpaid by the project, but the long term, you know, thing, I mean, I have to imagine that somebody like Sean has made more than three thousand dollars on the things tied to Rivali, you know, that have come as a result of that role. You know what I mean? Again, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but like there, there's just there's more to it than this. It's not cut and dry like this. Yeah. But um, so many people and, took this so personally, and this wasn't a situation where somebody was physically, mentally, or sexually abused. This was a person who was made an offer. They chose mm-hmm. not to take that offer. This isn't yeah. something where somebody was taken advantage of and only realized it after the fact. This was somebody who received an offer for a body of work, chose not to take that offer. And it was like, I know my worth. I'm going to choose not to do this and move on. Okay, cool. And then, you know, to come out a couple weeks before the game's release, which I'm not going to say that it was done the the time it was specifically to try to, you know, specifically to try to coincide with the release of the game. There may, there could very, very easily have been NDAs in place that prevented her from saying anything until when she commented. That could very possibly have been the case because when it comes to negotiations and video game stuff like this, like just signing, like you have to sign a stack full of NDAs just to talk to people about potentially coming onto a project. So it's very likely there was NDAs uh, in place that prevented her from saying anything up until the day where she did decide to come out. But ultimately, I mean, she came out, and said, I didn't get as much, I didn't get offered as much for a role as I thought. I want you all to boycott this game and forget all of the probably hundreds of incredibly talented and passionate people who blood, you know, who bled, who sweat for this game, who did everything in their power to make this the single best project of their lives. And just, I wasn't offered what I thought I was worth. So all of these people over here, their their hard work shouldn't be appreciated. That was the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way. If you want to come out and say, hey, this is what's going on in our industry. I'm here to tell you about it. I think we should all rally around. I think we should all, as a whole, attempt to make the industry better, not just for myself, but for my fellow voice actors. If you wanted to go that approach, I'm a thousand percent behind you. But unfortunately, she made it completely about herself, honestly, to what it felt like was the obvious exclusion of other voice actors and also kind of came out against other people who were just doing their jobs to the best of their ability to the point where the current voice actors of Bayonetta came out on Twitter to try to throw some positivity in there to try to ask that people stop being toxic and nasty to each other. like the, the the current voice of Bayonetta, in my opinion, Jennifer Hale, has handled this situation like an angel as far as I'm concerned. She's a total class act. She's And she is a, a legend in the business. Yeah. Complete class act. And everybody, because that was sort of another thing with, with Helena's video. She kind of like, it was, it was kind of like a backhanded sort yeah. of thing where she was like, I wish her all the grace in the world, but oh, also, um, 
you know, she has no right to claim Bayonetta as her character. That's my character. I created that character. She has no right to sign autographs as Bayonetta and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, why? Like, why Why do you feel like I understand that you're hurt or that you felt insulted by this offer, even if all of the things that she said were absolutely true. That doesn't excuse like just salting the earth around you and saying, you know what? No, forget the work of the hundreds of people at Platinum that worked on this game. Forget the fans who have waited years for this game. Forget the new person who's doing the voice when I turned down the role. You know, like it was it was selfish. It was incredibly selfish. Yeah. Um, and so I, I didn't agree with that approach to it whatsoever. Um, with all of this being said, with all of those facts and all these uh, opinions and whatever all out on the table, with all of that being said, um, it did shine a light for better or for worse it did shine a light on things that are happening with with voice actors and with the way they're paid um and i do think that as consumers and this is something that we i pointed a lot of people back to the episode we did with video workers united at the beginning of the year um, I pointed a lot of people back to that because there's a moment where, um, you know, because this is happening industry-wide. This is yep. not just happening at Platinum Games. And by the way, in that episode, we weren't even talking about voice acting. <laughs> we were talking about completely different issues altogether. But like, in, in it's an industry-wide issue, these things that we're talking about. And boycotting it solves nothing. What does solve something... And again, you know, I'll point you guys back to that episode that we did with them at the beginning of the year because Miriam says it way more eloquently than I can. But the best thing we can do is to keep talking about it. Like if we care about this, the best thing we can do is keep the conversation going. And to like, it's one of those things where you look at a, you know, Twitter man baby like Hideki Kamiya who, you know, (laughs) blocks everybody that calls him out on his BS. That's fair. You know, and and like we got him to delete and reactivate his Twitter account. They like that that's the thing. They know we know because now we're talking about it. You know what I mean? And so the best hope is that if the fans and the consumers continue this conversation in a measured way, then it'll get to investors who are like, hmm, maybe I should kind of tug at these strings a little bit. And maybe things should be done differently. And the people who are actually writing the paychecks can you know, can actually start thinking about this stuff in a more measure. That's how real change happens. Choosing not to buy Bayonetta 3 does nothing because I promise you the last game that you bought in, in buying the last game that you bought, you were also complicit in an underpaid voice actor or some, I mean, Mario Rabbids, right? We both are super hyped for Mario Rabbids. Ubisoft, not the best company in the world either. You know what I mean? Like we can't parse this stuff this way. We can't be beholden to all of that. Otherwise we would buy no video games. It's an industry-wide problem. What we don't need to do is we don't need to have all these ridiculous knee-jerk reactions. We don't need to have all these emotional responses to just a single side of a story coming out. Because all that did, all that did was create more toxicity, create more vitriol. That That's one of the reasons that Jennifer Hale wound up feeling like she had to come out. I'm sure that for the first little part of that, she felt like she was just going to stay out of it. But so many people came after her because of what Helena Taylor said. And so many people just had this incredible emotional reaction to just get 110% behind her without giving anybody else an opportunity to talk about the situation. Uh, I just, I hope that moving forward, like this is absolutely an important issue. If you think that $4,000 is a bad standard, 
for 16 hours for a project worth of work. If you think it is, then let's continue to bring it up. Let's not continue to, you know, insult each other on Twitter. Let's continue to bring it up to these companies. Let's continue to tag that union, that voice actor union. Let's, you know, let's try to find a solution to the problem rather than just try to have, you know, social media beefs, just try to have, you know, one-sided emotional responses like, well, I'm going to do this and that's going to help. It's not, it's not so much of, well, of what people are, you know, saying is like, well, I'm going to do this. It's like, oh, okay. What do you think that's going to accomplish? Let's talk about what is going to accomplish something. A lot of individuals acting individually could, over the course of some time, maybe make a difference. However, a collected group with a singular mindset and a singular goal, that's powerful. So yeah. if you see something that you really feel like you want to change that isn't good enough, then let's change it. Let's make it better for all involved. But we can only do that. We can only do that if everybody is telling the truth about what's going on. We cannot fix the problems that don't really exist. We all have to know what's going on. Everybody has to put their cards on the table. We all have to know what the reality is so we can make it a better reality for all involved. Well, and, and there's also, you know, and something that I really want to say to just to, to the audience and anybody out there listening is, you know, separating the art from the artists and everything is something that's difficult to do. And if you still, at the end of all of this, you're like, you know what? No, I still feel icky about it. I don't want to buy Bayonetta 3. Then I think, I think you should do whatever you want to do. And if you hear all of this stuff and you're like, no, I'm going to like, I'm still going to buy Bayonetta 3. I think you should be allowed to do that too. I think you should do whatever you want. It's video games. I think you should buy the video game you want to buy or not buy. If you're going to boycott it, great. If you're not going to boycott it, that's great too. But what you're, what you shouldn't do and, and what I will continue to call people out for is when you're trying to jump through hoops and like, I'm a Harry Potter fan. I'm a diehard Harry Potter fan. Yeah. Right. But which which hasn't <laughs> aged well, unfortunately. I I am vehemently opposed to the morals of J.K. Rowling. Okay, to me, Harry Potter is bigger than J.K. Rowling, and the thousands upon thousands of people who create Harry Potter content that are not J.K. Rowling are bigger than her, right? So I'm not magically some terrible person because I want to buy and play Hogwarts Legacy right? That has nothing to do with my opinion of JK Rowling or anything like that. But if you're somebody out there and you're like, no, that's a line I can't cross, whatever, I'm not going to buy it. Then I, I love and respect you for that too. It's all, we all have to parse and do what makes sense for us on a moral level and how we want to approach this art, but we're not going to pretend like this bad stuff isn't happening. I'm not going to stand on a soapbox and try to justify the actions of this transphobia that JK Rowling is doing all the time and act like it's magically okay because I'm a Harry Potter fan. I'm not going to do that, but I'm also not going to stand on a soapbox and make somebody feel like they're a terrible person because they want to engage in a Harry Potter thing. And I'm not going to do it for Bayonetta either or anything. You know, you just have to do what makes sense for you at the end of the day. It's not a black and white thing. There are, There is no right or wrong answer to this. 
You just have to do what makes sense to you. Yeah. And I want to empower everybody to do that. Yeah. I mean, not everybody's going to become an, uh, social, not everybody's going to become a, an activist based on this. And if this, right. if the conversation, admittedly, it has gotten really icky, especially with that massive area of gray that has come into view over the past week. So if you just say like, it's like, like, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for everything that's going on, but you know, I'm not going to be an activist in this situation. It's just too icky for me. I'm out completely respect you completely respect you. But if you're doing something with the intent that you think you're actively doing something, then let's get together and see what we can actively do to make things better. Yeah. Keep talking about it. Be honest about it. Be respectful about it. And, you know, and, and again, if this is something that matters to you, um, that's the kind of message that you need to put out there. Not, Hey, you're a piece of garbage because you're buying Bayonetta three and there's all this junk going on with it. Like that, that solves nothing. Yeah. And Seth solves and, nothing. Seth and I are not voice actor union negotiators. We necessarily wouldn't be the best people to find a solution to this problem, but you know, maybe it's out there. Maybe one of you guys has some great ideas. Maybe one of our voice actor friends has some great ideas. If you're mad at the standard, let's change the standard. Yeah. I mean, but, but we do have, but we have a platform and we have a community and we have an audience and I just, I want you guys to all feel empowered to do yeah. what you want to do when it, when it comes to this. And I want, I, I don't want there to be any, and, and by the way, the whole like crux of, of this was boycott the game and donate the money you would have spent on the game to charity. I didn't see a single person talk about charity, not one. It's all sort of just feeding into this extremist outrage culture for the sake of outrage culture in the wake of zero actual research being done people just wanting to be mad and that's the opposite of what we need if we want to inspire actual change yeah and we have always seth and i have always prided our community on a place where difficult conversations can take place in a safe environment we have banned people who have broken those rules but uh, there are important conversations that need to be had and there need to be places where those important conversations can take place. And, you know, Seth and I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to get fixed in our discord, but you know, I want everybody who's a member of our community to know that if you feel like there's something you want to say about this, we absolutely 1000% encourage you to do that in our discord. Just be respectful. Yep. Be respectful, be honest, and keep talking if it's important to you. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's <laughs> that certainly has been, I think, at the front of a lot of Nintendo fans' minds this week. And that's certainly something that we wanted to stop and just really marinate on as a blue shell topic and, and really just kind of unpack for everybody and, again, empower everybody to do what they want to do in this situation and know uh, how to sort of parse it. Because I think there's a lot of confusion going on in the community, a lot of sort of what do I do? You know, how do I proceed? Uh, so I hopefully uh, this kind of discourse and, and, you know, kind of talking about it here is hopefully given you a little bit of peace with that. And, and, um, and hopefully I'm sure many of you are uh, out there are just tired of hearing about it by, uh, by now. So hopefully this will be the last uh, you have to, if that's what you want. I know certainly Seth yeah. and I are, are ready to move on. Uh, yep. But uh 
But I mean, if you still, if you guys want to ask us questions about it, feel free. Nope. We, we welcome the conversation, but, um, what do you say? There, there are a few other little pieces. That was certainly the biggest, Oh yeah. but, um, but there are some other pieces of news to talk about. So what do you say we talk about? <laughs> There's a couple things that I guess kind of almost maybe didn't, but kind of happened this week. So let's talk about it. Hey, listen. So you know, coming into the end of spooky season, we really wondered what was going, you know, if if anything, if any big announcements were going to come our way. And sure enough, last week, we got announcement. We got an announcement of a Silent Hill uh, transmission. Silent Hill is back. We haven't heard anything about the legendary survival horror franchise from Konami in about... 86 years now that you know, <laughs> it's been 84 years or whatever it is. Give or take a couple months. Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. And we were wondering what was going on. We got a, we actually got a silent Hill transmission, like a full 45 minutes worth of new information about silent Hill stuff this past Wednesday. And you know what? The, the presentation itself was cool and we'll talk about it for just a couple yeah. seconds. But, uh, man, did they kind of fumble the presentation, didn't they? Yeah, they, um, so before the presentation went live, they had, uh, first of all, they had leaked the Silent Hill 2 remake in the video description, which is unbelievable to me. Like, I don't, I don't understand how that happened. Um, as somebody who does stuff like this, I, I don't understand how that happened because somebody had to go in there and literally copy paste the Silent Hill 2 remake, like PlayStation Store listing, that was unbelievable to me. Um, There's like so seven that happened. steps that somebody could have caught that in. Yeah, so so that happened. That got leaked beforehand. Then, <laughs> when the presentation actually went live, the entire thing just went live. It didn't even happen as a live streamed like premiere event. It just it was nope. just there. No, nope. didn't so didn't stream people it. Basically... Just all of a sudden, forty five minute video just <laughs> plop right down on YouTube. So, so people just, uh, kind of scrubbed through it, got the news and headlines are ran and there you go. It's done. So, and, and what kind of stinks about it is it was actually a pretty good presentation. I felt, yeah, I, I watched the whole thing. I actually thought it was pretty good. I, I think Silent Hill fans have a lot to be excited about. Um, you know, I've, I've said for years, even going back to my old podcasts, um, I dug up this old, like moment from one of my old podcasts where I'm like, Silent Hill two is like the number one game I've wanted to see remade for many, many years. Um, now none of this stuff is coming to switch, unfortunately. No, um, you and I kind of, you and I kind of knew that the chances of us seeing a Nintendo switch logo during this presentation were very, very slim, but yeah, I mean, There's still a lot of cool stuff coming out. If you're a Silent Hill fan, it was like the end of Thanksgiving. I'm sure you had to sit back from the table and like unbutton your pants and just kind of like, oh, oh, that was so much. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the Silent Hill 2 remake. Um, Just, you know, really quickly, I, I love that game. I think it's one of the best video game narratives of all time. Um, I'm really worried about it, not only because of the people who are making it don't have the best reputation. Um, so I'm kind of worried about that, but I'm also worried about just like a lot of the subtleties and the rough edges being shaved off of it. Um, sort of the same way I feel about RE4 remake, but I do, I think RE4 remake looks a little bit better, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, and, and Silent Hill F, you know, it was a teaser for the new Silent Hill game. We didn't really get much. It was really just kind of a CGI, like tonal, you know, teaser mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, there was that interesting looking game with Annapurna that they're doing. See, which, yeah. Um, See, yeah, that's that. That was what I was thinking of, because I actually shared this because in addition to to not learning a lot of stuff, we didn't even get console confirmations for a lot of the actual games that we're getting. Obviously, we got they yeah. were very clear about the Silent Hill 2 remake coming to PlayStation 5, but we've got several other games they showed off here. And of all of them, the one that Annapurna is working on, Silent Hill Townfall, yeah. I think that one has the biggest potential to come to Switch. Again, knowing almost nothing minus a slight teaser trailer that we got during this uh, during the showcase. But if we're getting anything, and I, I do think that Konami would like to kind of spread their roots a little bit further than just the PlayStation 5, and Annapurna, I hope so. Annapurna does have a ton of games on the Nintendo Switch. We've featured a couple of them here on this show before. So just because of Annapurna's involvement, I'm, I'm really hoping that at the very least Silent Hill Townfall comes and that it's a good game, of course, but I'm hoping that that comes to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I... I... So I don't have high hopes of it coming to the Switch, unfortunately, because the studio's previous games... Um, that they also did with Annapurna have not. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there, there's a possibility. I, I would love to see it, but yeah, the, the the track record of everything we're seeing and also the weird Sony exclusivity, which makes me think that Sony is just sort of paying them to have, maybe it's timed exclusivity or whatever. I, I kind of expect this to fall in the same boat, I, but we'll see. I think the report is it's a timed exclusivity for a full year. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so we'll see. I, I hope so. I love Silent Hill. I'm happy to see it back, um, you know, regardless. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Bloober team's working on the Silent Hill 2 remake. There's a lot of, a lot of really interesting projects going on. A new movie, new Silent Hill Returns movie based on Silent Hill 2 that, uh, yeah. I mean, it's at the very least, it's going to be a movie. It's going to be a movie. Silent Hill 2 is so good, man. Literally just just take Silent Hill 2 and just like just up-res the graphics and release it on Switch and I would be such a happy camper. That's that's all I want. And then they've got that weird one that's going to be taking place in Japan in the 60s. Like, yeah. Are they still going to are they just going to bring that's, Silent Hill to Japan? Is it, you know, is it just going yeah, to that's, be I don't know what's going on with that cuz like the entire point of Silent Hill is the games take place in Silent Hill, so is so yeah, I don't know. So yeah, is it just going to be Silent Hill by name at this point, or I think so. I, I honestly, <laughs> I, I don't want to get on a whole t- tangent about this, but it is funny how like you know, there's the whole thing with PT and Kojima who's working on a Silent Hill game. Yep, they kind of canned him, and you know that didn't happen. But then PT was the launch pad for the new direction that Resident Evil went in with Resident Evil 7. And so now Resident Evil has been incredibly successful with the groundwork that Kojima laid with Silent Hill. And now I bet you anything, we didn't see any gameplay of Silent Hill F, but I bet you anything that it's going to be a first-person horror game, just like PT was just like the new Resident Evil games are, and it's going to come across as like Kmart Resident Evil at this point. 
I don't know. Because we'll see. It's is it's gonna it's gonna be monkey see monkey do at this point. It's like you could have had it from the start. You could have been the one making the trend, and you weren't. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, there's <laughs> there's like 13 Silent Hill games officially announced now, so I'm sure one. Yeah. I'm sure one of them will be good. We will see, but, um, and this was unintentional, certainly. It wasn't, you know, that this, this, it was beautiful timing, but certainly unintentional that Resident Evil also had a presentation the next day. Yeah, the next day. We were wondering if we were going to get any big announcements. Silent Hill and Resident Evil came in basically with a one two punch this Wednesday and Thursday. So as you're listening to this live, if you're here, thank you very much. But as you're listening to this live last night, we got. Uh, the Resident Evil showcase, the newest information on the remake of Resident Evil 4 and of the Gold Edition DLC stuff coming to RE Village. None of which, of course, is slated for the Nintendo Switch. However, does look interesting. I am very interested to see the two versions of Resident Evil 4 that are now going to exist physically on the PlayStation 4. That's going to be fun. Okay, so this is my biggest thing here. When it comes to Silent Hill 2 Remake, because I can feel however I want about the RE4 Remake. I'm probably going to play it. I, I, I'm i apprehensive about it. It's It looks a little too far for me already. I'm even seeing stuff. Dude, they removed the dog from the beginning. The famous dog from the well, beginning of RE4. They haven't removed him. They've just... They've done. They removed him. So <laughs> it's it's such a great moment. There's a dog caught in a bear trap in the beginning of RE4 mm-hmm. that you can either help or or whatever. If you help it, it actually will come back yes. later and help you. And it's a great moment. And then it got for its own some game reason, called Haunting Ground. <laughs> yeah, and and then it became Okami. Exactly. You know? like, yeah. How did that happen? And uh, but for some reason now in RE4 remake, they've just killed that dog. And I'm like, literally, why? I don't understand that. So, uh, and then like little things with the combat, like Leon was like fending off chainsaw guy with a knife. And I'm just like, that's so, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really weirded out. But the point is you can play RE4, the original RE4 on basically anything, including the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Give me, this is something I wish I could say about Silent Hill 2. Where it's like, regardless of any apprehension I have with Silent Hill 2, I wish I could say, well, at least there's the original. That's not the case. The original Silent Hill 2, you can only play on PS2 and maybe PC? Like, that's what I want. Just take those old ones and modernize them, put them on the modern platforms, so at least we have the option. Because with RE4, we have the option. So... I did like one thing just in regards to the the dog thing that you were talking about. The fact that they yeah. killed the good boy. Uh, a lot of you out there probably know there's actually a Twitter uh, a Twitter uh, profile out there. Oh, the Can You Pet the Can Dog? Can You Pet the Dog? That had the greatest reaction to that moment. I, I was rolling laughing. They just took that clip of Leon showing up. Uh, at the dog that was already dead in this version of Resident Evil 4. And they just said, they just shared that, retweeted it. And it's like, what the bleep? Senseless. Senseless. I don't understand it. It drives me crazy. That really, that actually really upset me. Like that almost got me to the point where I'm like, I'm not going to play this. Like it almost got me there. So Unnecessary it's on thin ice. Against animals. You're on thin ice, Resident Evil 4 remake. 
on thin ice with me. We're going to get it eventually but, as a cloud version. You know that's going to happen. Yeah, we probably are because to to your point, we already, this was announced, I think, during the last Direct. Yes, um, I think we got the dates all of these, here. Uh, we got the right. dates here. But yes, it was announced during the last Resident Evil Showcase that RE8 and the RE2 and RE3 remakes are coming to the Nintendo Switch via the cloud version. They even released a 30-second demo of <laughs> Resident Evil 8 on the Nintendo Switch. Like, an alarmingly short demo on the Nintendo Switch. Which, it was like three minutes. Yeah, which I played. Yeah. And unfortunately, the lag, because of it being a streamed version of the game, just those extra frames that it takes to start mm-hmm. moving the camera around, really, just really turned me off of the cloud version mm-hmm. of the game. And I mean, potentially the RE2 and RE3 remakes won't have that issue potentially, but this is all being done through the same service at the same studio. So I'm expecting them all to have that lag, which means I'm expecting all of these versions to be kind of, kind of, kind of not the best. Yeah. So really quickly, those dates are Resident Evil Village is coming actually next week on uh, October 28th. Resident Evil 2 Remake is coming on uh, November 11th. Uh, Resident Evil 3 will be the following week on November 18th. And then Resident Evil 7, which has been out in Japan for like 5 million years, is coming on December 16th. So those are going to be cloud versions on the Nintendo Switch if you choose to play those games that way. If you've been waiting to play these games and that is the only way that you have to play them, we're getting them. By this time next month, we're going to have a ton of Resident Evil goodness on the Nintendo Switch. It's just going to be cloud versions, which the first impressions of which weren't the greatest. But, I mean, uh, we will continue to be optimistic despite how this week has gone. Like, there's been some really weird, icky, icky stuff that's happened. Uh, just, you know, but in, in regards to ports of classic survival horror games, especially. But we, we, would, we were just going to hold out hope. We really want all these games to be good. We want to have really good, really cool AAA survival horror games on the Nintendo Switch. But this is going to be one of those cases where... You know, Alan Wake shouldn't have this problem, but yeah, RE7, RE8, and the RE2 and RE3 remakes, they are probably going to suffer from the Nintendo Switch's hardware limitations. Cloud versions of those Resident Evil games will still be better than Alan Wake remastered natively. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Seth. (laughs) Moving on, uh, real quick story here. I just wanted to kind of shed a little bit of light on this because I haven't seen too many people uh, latch on to this. But this is kind of a cool story, especially with the stuff that was coming out of the massive uh, acquisitions that fandom did uh, that we reported on, uh, I think, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, This comes from uh, the Zelda Wiki, which is kind of like the end-all, be-all Zelda Wiki, which for a very long time, for many, many years, has always ran off of fandom and has been um, sort of, you know, running off of the fandom engine for forever and everything. Well, they announced this past week that they are now going to go independent. Um, I have a quote here, a statement from Zelda Wiki. They say, quote, For over a decade from its creation in 2005 to its transfer to Gamepedia in 2017, the Zelda Wiki was a fully independent site. 
Even after the transfer and Gamepedia's subsequent acquisition by Fandom Inc., the site sought to continue its mission of curating an editorially independent, high-quality wiki operated by fans. However, we have come to believe that these ideals are incompatible with fandom. So after many months of preparation, the Zelda wiki team is officially announcing our independence from Fandom Inc. Following fandom's recent buyouts and questionable staffing decisions, we feel we have no choice but to do our part to keep the internet free from corporate consolidation. We strongly urge our fellow wiki communities hosted under fandom to make the same decision and to help build independent wiki alliances such as NIWA and SEIWA free from corporate monopolization and control. For those who are currently employed by fandom, we urge you to unionize while you still can. We can keep the internet free from hegemonic control together, but it must start with us. The princess can only thrive out here in the wild. There's, the, End quote. there's that word again. Union. Yep. Yep. We're, we are going to be seeing and hearing a lot of this. Especially as things become more consolidated and things become more sort of homogenized. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's going to be um you're you're gonna start seeing more of this, you know, and, and uh Zelda Wiki, I I respect the decision to go independent and um yeah, I, I I'm not gonna get on a diatribe about fandom again, but I'm not a fan of fandom. We'll say just that. quick question, just quick question. Who out there had uh militant calls for wiki? Uh, alliances against corporate <laughs> consolidation on their 2022 bingo card. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we're, we're going to, we're going to continue to see more of this again. Not a lot to say, but I just, I just wanted to um, sh shine a little bit of light on that. Cause yeah. I feel like a lot of people have glossed over that and, and the rest of the stuff that's been going on this week. But I think, I mean, regardless of just that one issue, as we continue to see more corporate consolidation, as we continue to see a lot of these buyouts, there's a lot of people that are of the same mindset that really appreciated, really enjoyed the status of working independently, of not having these corporate over, uh, overlords above them, micromanaging in many respects, everything that they do in a lot of these companies. There are a lot of people that really appreciated just that status of being an independent creator or curator. So I'm sure a lot of people at these companies are... I'm sure a lot of people would leave if they could in order to recapture that. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if some of these other smaller studios, maybe independent video game developers, independent publishers, maybe a few other types of companies uh, under you know these companies like Fandom and Tencent and all these like the Saudi government keeps uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. the Saudi government keeps buying up all these video game companies. You may start to see the more acquisitions we see, you may start to see a lot of smaller companies kind of annex themselves, kind of, you know, a lot of video game declarations of independence. Yep. Yep. It's not the last story that we will see like this. But um, yeah, just wishing, wishing all the best to those people. <laughs> Love and respect. We, to, the to people Zelda Wiki. of the Zelda Wiki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, moving on, we, we wanted to hit this real quick uh, here on the eve of a lot of people's NSO expansion pack subscriptions about to re-up, I think. 
Um, if you were a day one adopter of Expansion Pack, you will be hitting uh, a, a re-up, a, a new uh, subscription window to renew your subscription. I know I did. I had to renew my subscription this week. Yep. Um, and kind of right in line with that, I'm actually really surprised that this wasn't another game to incentivize people to re-up their subscriptions. Um, oh, what, but we got what the game news. could you potentially be talking about there, yeah. Seth? My friend, I have no idea. It's it's not Mario Party One and Two. I'll say that Mario Party One and Two, which they announced, are coming uh, next week on the second. Which don't be wrong, yeah, cool, great, great. But I'm like, if you want people to re up their subscriptions, why not make GoldenEye this announcement? You know, I'm like, really hey, looking, GoldenEye, it's coming next week. I'm really looking forward to Super or Mario Party Superstars Demastered. Coming next week. Basically, yeah. That's basically what it is really at this point. I'm looking forward to that. Now, don't get me wrong. You, there, there's a lot of other boards that you can play on in Mario Party 1 and 2. And I'm sure it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, but, I, I mean, yeah. There's a very big elephant in the room when it comes to this current landscape of currently announced NSO titles for the Nintendo 64 app banjo kazooie wasn't the last one that we got from that first batch no so why like what game are you playing at here it could potentially have something to do with licensing rights with stuff going on because to be honest i was really surprised that they announced goldeneye in the first place because of everything with rare and microsoft and the and the goldeneye or just the double o license in general that was so murky that I was even surprised that they announced 007. So it could potentially have something to do with the dates of licenses or agreements that are coming up. Cause uh, I mean, that was something that, you know, you see a lot from uh, like video streaming sites is this is leaving this month because of current agreements or current licenses. We are getting this next month because of whatever's going on. So it could potentially be that, but yeah, to your point of the argument, you know, if, if if you're trying to really get people's money out of their wallets, which game do you go with from the ones that are currently announced? Mario Party 1 and 2? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, let's do Mario Party 1 and 2, the games that, to your point, are already essentially in Mario Party Superstars. Just a really weird decision to me. Um, yeah, you might be exactly right. It could be tied to licenses. I honestly, I really do think that they are starting to get because people were calling them on on their BS with these ports with these NSO ports. P- they're having these big problems. Like, like they would come, the emulation just wasn't quite there, and people were having all these issues with it. Kirby and Kirby, Crystal Shards yeah, would have game breaking bugs that I ran you know? into several times. Me too. And then Paper Mario even had game breaking bugs. And then like even little things like the emulation just being poor on some of these ports. Um, and so they've had to go back in and like repatch some of this stuff. And now the past several NSO drops have been great. Yeah. The like, especially like Pilot, Pilot Wings 64 has been is beautiful. The best way to play. Yeah. Best way to play Pilot Wings 64. So um, I think that they're actually reevaluating the way they approach these. And I think that their timeline has been shifted a bit because they're like, hey, actually, let's give these a little more TLC. So. I, I think that that is, I think that's what's going on. And it could also tie into licenses. I don't know. But 
Another thing worth noting, um, because Nintendo even knew that they had to sweeten the pot a little bit further, they announced that they're going to be um, doing some limited time benefits for expansion pack members. So if you're an expansion pack member, you will get double my Nintendo gold points when you purchase uh, DLC or digital games on the eShop. Mm-hmm. So you'll get double points for a limited time. And they're going to be introducing um, N64 icon stuff, uh, which is cool. It's not enough. Um, and I wonder if you're going to see some people drop off of the expansion pack and not renew because of, because of this. It's just, it's a weak, it's a weak set of incentives to, to renew. Yeah. You, you want to throw out a heavy hitter at the end of the renewal period. Yeah. You know, I hope it happens. I hope a lot of people drop off the expansion pack because that's when Nintendo's going to hit the panic button. And that's when we're finally going to see the Game Boy Advance NSO app. Yeah, Maybe. <laughs> maybe they need something like that you know it needs a shot in the arm the that that's the problem is we have like if you look at what's offered with the nso expansion pack we have like how many nes games how many super nintendo games how many genesis games and basically most of the amazing first party Nintendo games on the N64 in addition to the Octo expansion, in addition to that massive amount of uh, Animal Crossing DLC, in addition to the Mario Kart booster course. Like there's already a ton of content there. The problem is, is the, the whole point of all that content is to be played. Which means that it becomes very much a what have you done for me lately type of situation. Like it's yeah. it's great that all of these are free and we can go back like I can go back and replay Banjo Kazooie as many times as I want to because I have the N64 or just because I have the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack. But you know, if you want me to continue to keep that subscription, you know, we can only even Seth can only replay Ban- through Banjo Kazooie so many times. Nintendo, even yeah, Seth can only replay right. Banjo Kazooie so many times. I I have my limits. All right. I do have my limits, but uh, all right. Well, we we got through a lot of ground here in the news roundup, but we do have a pretty stacked uh, set of notable releases to hit on here. So why don't we hit on these real quick? Sounds good. I mean, uh, clearly first and one, well, honestly, not even first and foremost, there were some heavy hitters this week, heavy hitters. some heavy hitters this week. But since we've already talked about it, with a decent amount of uh, substance already. Let's just go ahead and retouch real quick. Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope is finally out in the mm-hmm. wild. Uh, man, we'll definitely be talking about that here in a few minutes. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, definitely stick around yes. for our top five. We've got some really, really fun stuff to talk about in regards to Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope. And I cannot wait uh, for you to to play through it this weekend, bud. I'm going to be doing yes. it with you. Yes. I'm obviously here in the near future. We'll have a big old review discussion as we are want to do here on the show, but we're, we're in it, man, where it's fall season. It's crazy time. And uh, Mario plus rabbits is finally, finally here. Yeah. in All of its glory. You know, it's man. There's so much to play though. I'm just really glad that another massive iconic JRPG didn't also come out within the past couple days that's going to take up even more of my precious free yeah. time. Oh, wait, I'm wrong. Yeah, thank God. Thank God this long-awaited Switch port 
of a game that we've been waiting since literally 2017 <laughs> to uh, come to Switch. Thank God that didn't come to, you know, with an amazing port this week. Finally, finally, the promise of the first proper Smash Ultimate DLC character. Finally, the promise has been fulfilled. Persona 5 Royal, one of the most well-regarded JRPGs of all time at this point, certainly of the past couple console generations, Persona 5 Royal mm-hmm. is out and available now, right now, on the Nintendo Switch. If you are a JRPG fan, this is a must-play. And even though Seth and I haven't played it ourselves, this is being called another one of those Switch Miracle ports. This is getting... Like, people are tripping over themselves to talk about how amazing this version of the game is. Someday I will play it. Someday I will play. It's the perfect game for Switch. To have this thing portably is is going to be amazing. So I will pick this up and someday I will play it. <laughs> uh, I played it on PS4. Loved it. I, I will play it on Switch. Someday. Again. But today is someday. not that day. Today is not that day. But it's a good thing that we didn't also get a sequel to one of the best games that Telltale ever made based on a property that we both really love. It's it's good that we didn't get that this week. That's, At least that, we have that. That's oddly specific, Seth. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. New Tales from the Borderlands came out this week, oh, too. Oh, my God. New Tales from the yeah. Borderlands. We talked about the original Tales from the Borderlands recently on the show and Seth and I both geeked out about one of the greatest cinematic scenes of all time. Pew pew. Finger gun scene in tales from the borderlands is one of the great scenes in video game history. It really is. And I don't know if anything in new tales from the borderlands is going to top it, but it's another one that I definitely, definitely want to play. I cannot wait to check out new tales from the borderlands. We don't know too, too much about it, thankfully, because these are incredibly narrative. Just announced like a month ago. Yeah. Like <laughs> we don't know too much about it, but these are very narratively driven games. So if you've never played anything from like the Telltale, uh, anything from Telltale Studios, like the Walking Dead games, or you know the Telltale Batman or Tales from Borderlands, or any one of the at this point, you know hundreds of different adaptations that they've done. They did Game of Thrones. In fact, these are very narratively driven games. Uh, fairly light on gameplay. But if you like really interesting, fairly open video game stories with a ton of personality, because Borderlands has always had that in spades, this might be one you have to check out. Yep. There's also a new Monster Rancher game that came out this week, weirdly. Let me get all my CDs Uh, ready. Let me get all my CDs ready. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to. I mean, I want to play this. Um, This it's Ultra Kaiju Monster (laughs) Rancher. Which is, uh, it's Monster Rancher, but you're raising, you know, kaiju. Like you do. And, um, yeah, like you do. I, it, it's so wild. I'm actually surprised that it got localized at all. Um, so I, I do want to play it, but yeah, there's there's no time. But I just, I wanted to shout it out because I'm just happy that it exists. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I mean, it's, it's not going to be the same, though. Because when the original Monster Rancher came out back on the PlayStation 1, it had this really stupidly cool gimmick where you could actually use your other physical CD media that you had, like your musical CDs. You could pop those into your console and use them to unlock new content in the game. That's not going to be a viable option, especially on the Nintendo Switch version. And I do miss that big, you know, kind of tangible, that big tactile part of the game. 
Yeah, Monster Rancher DX, uh, 1 and 2 DX brought that back with like a search engine where you could actually search like CD titles, which is kind of funny. Um, but so they, they made it work. I don't know if that's in this game at all. Probably not. But I again, I just like that it exists. <laughs> so shout outs to Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher. Uh, speaking of things that I know you're excited about and you like that they exist. I do. I am excited about it and I am very glad. It exists. Last week, Modus Games released a really cool survival horror on the Nintendo Switch that we featured last week in an indie showcase. This week, they decided to release something a little bit different. This week, Them's Fighting Herds, a, a 1v1 My Little Pony-esque equine fighting game. Just dropped on the Nintendo Switch a few days ago. I haven't actually picked it up yet. I actually picked up the physical of In Sound Mind from uh, Modus Games. And they released a physical of the deluxe version for them, Fight Nerds, for the Nintendo Switch, which I also purchased. And that's all I'm waiting on to, to jump into that. But it's it's one of those really bizarre, like Skullgirls. There's a lot of Skullgirls yeah. vibes going on in them's fighting herds. And I am definitely looking forward to that. Phelan, I know you're listening. We got to throw down, man. Yeah, apparently it's really good. So look, I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, we have a cloud version of a Plague Tale Requiem. Which um, I've actually heard, you know, it's funny because it was getting kind of like lukewarm reviews. Mm-hmm. But uh, but my friend Kevin Ainsworth from uh, Save the Game Media, he loves it. And he thought it was great. I don't know how the cloud version stacks up. I can't speak to that. But um, but apparently these games are really good. I've never played them. I do want so. to check them out. I do really want to yeah. check them out. And this one is getting praised fairly highly, you know, on its more native consoles Mm -hmm. but i would like to check this one out too if i had the ability if you if you guys check it out definitely let us know what you think but uh we got uh one other thing i think one or two other things yeah we got so i mentioned spin frog earlier uh, and what we've been up to i've I've been playing that spin frog is is indie kuren uh from the bonito days developers um so yeah you should play that if you're into like weird uh unique indie games yeah. um i really enjoy and it and that's the last notable uh, then, release from this past week that, that, that's the, the last, last notable release the last notable yeah. release from this past week we can we can clean it up and we wash our hands wash our hands last notable release nothing else came out this past week nothing you know i guess alan wake is notable in some ways <laughs> just not positive ways that's fair that's fair yeah <laughs> So, yes, I, I've said enough about it. Alan Wake Remastered also came out this week, yeah. of course. And if D3T wants to go in and actually fix the game, we will be the first people to oh, thank yeah. them for it. I would be stoked to see that. Nothing would make me happier. I will make a new video about it. I'll stream it. I would be thrilled. I, I would be thrilled to see that. Yeah, but as of right now, I think uh, don't touch this title. Not for now. Not for now. Can't recommend but uh, like, there's so much stuff that happened in the past week, guys. Let us know. Like we said, we've already talked about how we want you guys to interact with us in the Discord. Let us know what your thoughts on everything going on in the world of the Big N. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what games you're playing this weekend and what you're doing for the rest of Spooky Season. We've only got one full week left until the big All Hallows Eve. Let us know what you guys are up to over at uh, all in or over at Twitter and Facebook at All In Podcasts. Make sure to check us out on 
YouTube at youtube.com slash Holland Podcast. Big shout outs to everybody who is doing that right now, live this Friday evening. Thank you so much. If you are checking us out, by the way, you know, it just takes a few seconds of, of effort to, to click that little subscribe and the bell and, and everything. Just takes a couple seconds, mm-hmm. I'm sure. You know, I can I can promise, Seth's not going to promise, but I can promise that you're not going to regret it. We're very good at what we do over here at All In. So much so that I also encourage you to become patrons. Yes, on patreon.com slash Podcast, We have got three great tiers that you can check out over there. See what tier works best for you. Exclusive content happening over there. Patron shout outs, all kinds of things. We got two exclusive podcasts that we do every single week and, uh, and much, much more. Uh, that is just a great way to support. If you've got the means, if you've got the bones to throw, we super, super appreciate that. But if you don't have the bones to throw, our boneless all end fans do have a way to support us entirely for free. Did you know that Eric? Yes. And, and it would be a great, great spooky season gift. That's true. Actually, if you were spooky, spooky skeletons out there, and you wanted to throw some bones, that would be great. But if you can't, you can drop some words. Over on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, and on Audible, you can leave us five-star written reviews that I will shout out here at the top of the show. And you can also leave us a five-star rating on Spotify. And it is extremely easy, if you're listening to us right now, to do that. Uh, and we, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. It gets our show in front of the people who need to see it. Absolutely. Uh, also true. Everything he said, no lies detected. Uh, and for everybody who does that, thank you. Thank you so much for all of our amazing, for that golden bunch of golden bananas mm-hmm. uh, and you Triforce tier legends. For all of our patrons, thank you. Thank you guys so much. And genuinely, if you just come and hang out with Seth and Eric for a couple hours each week to listen to us geek out about the world of Nintendo here on YouTube and in the podcast. Uh, like genuinely thank you from the bottom of our hearts just for doing that. Namaste. Namaste indeed, Eric. And speaking of notable releases this week, uh, we are of course very excited to yes. finally have our hands on Mario and Rabbids sparks of hype. Yes. Very excited about that. But we, you know, you know how it is. We're in this like age of uh, consumerism. We just got the thing. We somehow already want more. Of course, that's how it always is. It's already right? it's already out, which means it's already old news. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And we we had Donkey Kong themed DLC in the first one. We know we've mm-hmm. got Rayman DLC coming in the future for this one, but yeah, but we know we've got more coming too. Mm-hmm. We know we have more. There's a season pass and all of that. So our heads have been kind of spinning this week about the possibilities of other guest characters we might see down the line for this game. So we're going to count down our picks this week in the top five. All right, Eric, the top five characters we want to see appear in Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hype. What are the rules? Well, for this... We had Donkey Kong in the first one. We have Rayman confirmed already for this one. For this top five, we wanted this to be like a real honest pitch. Something that we thought could actually happen. We're not going to be like, oh, we want to see Kratos or or Master Chief in Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope. No. So we are actually going to pick from a pool of characters we think have a real honest chance 
of being a part of this game. So we're kind of uh, restricting ourselves to Nintendo-owned properties, first, second party, Nintendo, and Ubisoft characters. These are characters we really think have a good shot at potentially showing up in this game. And we have some good ideas for you guys. And we're just going to go ahead and kick things off with my list for my number five. Let's just let's just go ahead and get the obvious one out of the way. I mean, here in Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope, you've got Mario and his crew, the Rabbids, traveling throughout space on their spaceship, collecting money and being rewarded constantly for taking out bad guys. You might even say they're bounty hunting. <laughs> it's just too bad that Nintendo doesn't have access to their own veteran spacefaring bounty hunter who could assist Mario and his elite comrades. Of course, my number five is Samus Aran. Of course. Gotta do it. I mean, it not just because it makes obvious thematic sense, which it does, my lord, does it make obvious thematic sense, but you look at what Samus could potentially bring to the table with the gameplay in Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope. And that was one of the big things that I was thinking about when it came to the DLC characters that I would like to see. Not necessarily just characters that kind of feel like they have to be there. I actually didn't even put like Assassin's Creed is nowhere near my list just because mm-hmm. I mean, I thought about it, but. You know, Ezio doesn't have to be in everything, and I just felt there were more (laughs) interesting characters that we could throw in here. But Samus not only works perfectly thematically, but just think about some of the different things that she could do from a gameplay standpoint. She could curl up in her ball and be harder to hit when she's just simply moving around. She could jump off the other characters and drop bombs on them when she lands. Just her different arm cannons give her a ton of different abilities. Freezing is already something that you can do to enemies in the game. Just, you know, have different arm cannons that you can pick up for Samus. Have an arm cannon that freezes enemies when it hits them. Have an arm cannon, just like in Metroid, that can go through barriers and go through cover to hit enemies. And you could also do something really interesting with her attacks. Say you choose not to use Samus's attack on a turn. Then she'll charge it up for a charge shot on the next turn. And even then, you could make something really interesting with that because, of course, in addition to her arm cannon, she she has to have her missiles. So if you do the charge ability, you could charge up potentially a normal missile into a super missile or something like that. And maybe, maybe you use the, the charge shot for some of those extra special effects I was talking about. Maybe you use the charge shot to freeze enemies. Maybe you use the charge shot to go through barriers or... Maybe you just don't even worry about doing extra damage. Maybe a charge shot is a bunker buster. Maybe it's something that really efficiently destroys cover. There's so many really interesting things that you could apply to the game just using Samus's innate moveset that she already has in the game. In addition to basically the game being made practically for her, there's so many really cool ideas that you could implement in the gameplay. And honestly, honestly, I just really want a rabid Ridley, like chonky, scaly chicken boss fight. I just, I feel like I need that in my life. But going into my number four, we're, I mean, we're never going to get 
the second one at this point from Ubisoft. Let's just face facts. So what if we got some facsimile of Beyond Good and Evil 2 here in Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope? My number four is Jade from Beyond Good oh, and Evil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Jade or uh, Rabid Page or something. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rab- I mean, <laughs> how much do you really change up Page by making him a rabbit anyway? I mean, honestly. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously Ubisoft has a lot of more photorealistic style game franchises under their belt. But Jade wouldn't really need that much redesigning to fit into this game. It was already a relatively stylized uh, art style for the first one, at least they, you know, for (laughs) beyond good and evil Two, they attempted to go more photorealistic, but again, that one's basically in the bin. So I would, I would very much prefer that if you were going to bring Jade into the game, you go off the beyond good and evil one model and the art style. Thank you very much. But yeah, I mean, it would be great because especially since the beyond good and evil fan base has been starving for so long, that would be a great way to extend an olive branch while also adding in some extra awesome content. I I honestly don't even know how you would structure that chapter. I, you know, beyond good and evil was kind of an action adventure uh, style game. It's hard for me to really, think of i mean obviously jade has her staff but i know you could really make some interesting moves you could have jade and Paige and a couple of her other allies work together to make up her move set go ahead you know make it like a full party style move set like four characters in one or something but just get just give us some beyond good and evil content ubisoft just i mean just give us something just yeah, they, they typically they, they typically have like a um like a party set up like how in the DK adventure like you would have rabid cranky Kong yep. and stuff like that in there. Um so I could see them doing that. And you you could even imagine like not only does she have her staff, but she typically, you know, she takes pictures and stuff. So you could see that kind of if they worked like uh photography into the gameplay, if she could do like kind of an enemy scanning thing with her camera, I could sort of see that. I can see that too. I just, I want her in the game. I just, I, I, I think the demand is still there. I think it would make a lot of people really happy if she were to be announced. I just think it would be a good thing all around. Be so great. get it done. But going into my number three, I mean, I have to put this guy at number three because he was made famous in Far Cry 3. <laughs> You're doing it, huh? My number three is Voss Montenegro. Voss Montenegro, the iconic villain of, not the not the final villain, unfortunately, but the iconic villain of Far Cry 3, uh, performed impeccably by Michael Mando. Uh, mm-hmm. But here's, here's the thing. When it comes to these types of characters... You really have to kind of make them rabid versions of themselves for them to even think about really existing in this world. But specifically with Voss, here's why I want a rabid Voss. Because we all know that Voss's whole thing is insanity. It's something he clearly knows the meaning of the word to. Mm-hmm. But honestly, no villain in Far Cry history and only few villains in video game history have really made you feel how unhinged 
they are, how truly unhinged they are. Just think about like the baseline mental state you have to be to be a raving rabbit. I want to see what the truly unhinged version of that is. That's what it's supposed. I mean, that's what it's supposed to mean. You know, it's like it's like raving mad. You know. Yeah, exactly. Raving so rabid. I want to take the baseline insanity that you need to be a raving rabid, and turn and make that like unhinged to Voss's. Like that would be, like the universe would fold in on itself from sheer insanity. But I kind of want to see it happen. I just, I mean, I, you can make a move set fairly easily enough. Far Cry has tons of guns and knives, and you can make cartoonish versions of them. One of the really interesting things I thought you could do with Voss from a gameplay standpoint is do some kind of like melee throw or something. You remember the part in Far Cry 3 where he ties the rock to the bottom of the character's feet? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a bounce mechanic where you can knock enemies off the stage. Maybe there's something to where when he does that, when he bounces enemies with this throw, he actually ties a rope to the bottom of their feet. And if he bounces an enemy off the stage, like for lesser enemies, it's just an instant KO. I can see them doing some interesting things with Voss. Like just just go full madness with him. Just go full insanity. Have him take out like like a, a cartoonishly large salmon or something and just whack people in the face with it. Just go completely bonkers with it. I want to see I want to see just how far the insanity well can go with the raving rabbits. I think that I think that would make for some really interesting gameplay and just to see the other characters just to see other rabbits look at this guy and be like listen you're a little bit too crazy for us tone it back a little bit yeah i i won't get on a tangent about <laughs> about far cry bosses but but voss certainly for the time like he was very unique um and and look i could see him doing it because ubisoft loves their far cry villains yes they they do. did a whole dlc about them for yes, the latest do. one and so. and i really tried to make this characters who had appeared in Nintendo games, because I know I hear a lot of you out there, like from a business standpoint, the entire purpose of cross-marketing is to get people to look into that stuff that's being cross-marketed. And currently a lot of that Far Cry stuff is not available on Nintendo platforms. So ideally what I would like to see is, an announcement of Rabid Voss as a playable character in Sparks of Hope, accompanied with maybe a Far Cry collection for the Nintendo Switch. Maybe one, two, and three collected for the Nintendo Switch. That'd be cool. Yeah, I could see that. And then all of a sudden, that cross-promotion is actually paying dividends. You've got some cool Far Cry-themed content you know, throwing more villains out there, as you just said, Seth, as Ubisoft loves to do. And you have this fantastic new product that they have that they can check out now once they've enjoyed that DLC content. Have some more money, Ubisoft. You're welcome. Uh, but going into my number two, I, I had to do at least one more straight up Mario character, one more Nintendo character. And there is one Mario character Honestly, probably the Mario character that has the most interesting abilities and has never been playable before. At least not in this type of sense. 
just imagine, just imagine what you could do playing in Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope as Kamek. Mm. Obviously, between Voss and Kamek, I'm trying to get some more some more villains in here. We got Bowser, but he's a lonely bad guy. We need some more villains in here. But just uh, just think about what Kamek was able to do throughout the course of the Mario franchise. Obviously, it's all about projectile combat in this game. And Kamek excels at that in spades. You could even have him, you could even give him like different rods, different wands from the, the Mario franchise. You could even give him the star rod that appeared in like it. I know a lot of people associated with a certain pink puffball, but it did appear in Paper Mario. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you could give him different rods. He could, you know, just shoot magic spells and things. One of the really interesting things you could do with Kamek is. Uh, obviously a huge part of this game is breaking down and destroying cover that people are standing behind. You remember what Magic Koopa and Kamek did in Super Mario World? They would yeah. they would destroy blocks, but they would turn blocks into other things. How cool would it be if Kamek shot his little magic spell and instead of just breaking the cover, all of a sudden it turned it into another bomb or another bomb into coins, into another Goomba, into something else into an item that actually added a new element to the battle screen. How cool would that be? Yeah, that would be cool. He could fly around. You could, you know, do some movement with that. Uh, obviously one of the most famous things Kamek does is enlarge other things with his magic. You could do that. You could do a bunch of interesting stuff with that. We know there's bombs in the game. Maybe you use his magic to make one of the bombs on the battlefield Maybe you use that to make it larger so that it explodes bigger. Maybe the making stuff larger just acts as a buff that makes everybody on the field stronger. There's so many really interesting things that you could do with Kamek. Again, he's a magic user. He's got magical abilities. And we've never been able to use those as a player. And there's there's this perfect opportunity to really play with Kamek and everything that he's been able to do. He's been arguably a more effective bad guy most of the time than even Bowser. He's been able to get the best of Mario more often than Bowser a lot of the time. So I think it's time to finally give him his due, especially leading up to his appearance in the movie. That is true. Yeah. I mean, that would be great. He'd be the final piece of the DLC. Uh, they release it, you know, a couple weeks before the movie comes out, you know, and they even have like the movie version of Kamek available to play as. Because that, I mean, the art styles are similar enough. You could make it work. Yeah, we saw him there in that trailer kind of doing his, uh, kind of a weird voice, you know. So, well, yeah, well, that, that'd be cool to see. All right. Now, my number one, I've thought about some weird ones for this list. I, I honestly thought about doing like a Just Dance style rabbit that used rhythm uh, based uh, attacks. I thought about doing hmm. like a Rainbow Six Siege all in one type character. I thought about doing a lot of really weird characters, but when it comes to characters that I would genuinely be hyped to see join this game and would not be able to stop myself from breaking down the walls at Ubisoft to steal a copy of the DLC so I could play it immediately. My number one is honestly 
rabid Davide Soliane and a spark of Grant Kirkhope. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Gino. That's what I thought was going to be your number one for a second. But you know what? That might be even more hype. Tell me, especially if you follow them on Twitter, tell me you wouldn't immediately want to play as Davide and Grant Kirkhope together bickering through an entire DLC campaign as Rabbit and Spark partners. Tell me you wouldn't play through that a dozen times. Yeah, that'd be really good. (laughs) I don't know how you would create his moveset. Obviously, Spark Grant Kirkhope would need to have musical abilities. Uh, Mm -hmm. But aside from that, I don't know how you flesh it out gameplay-wise. All I know is that that absolutely 1,000% needs to happen. I I would buy no other DLC on the Nintendo Switch but that, if you twisted my arm. I would absolutely need that in my life if they made it a reality. Please, please, Ubisoft, please, Davide, please, Grant voice those characters, bring them to the game, and let us actually play through the rabbit and spark avatars of your Twitter bickering awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah, they do have a great bromance. It's amazing. Please give it to us. (laughs) Please give it to us. Yeah, I mean, I I would buy that in a heartbeat. But uh, (laughs) going into my list, you know, I I thought about a couple of things for number five. I wound up shifting a few things out, in and out. I was kind of, um, (laughs) I was actually thinking for a second about doing like a Fire Emblem character and doing some, I I just. Tactics RPG, (laughs) that makes sense. That makes sense. Wouldn't that just be so funny to see like some kind of Fire Emblem character in the Mario plus Rabbids universe? But I, I, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to just imagine. Yeah. Just imagine what would happen on Twitter if Nintendo came out with DLC. Exactly. For, yeah. Every, everybody's just, just <laughs> everybody's eyes start twitching. They just start having flashbacks back to Smash Ultimate. Yep. I would love that. It, that would be so great. Just to, just some, you know, some people just want to watch the world burn. Exactly. I would just love to see the internet get so upset over a Fire Emblem DLC, but I didn't wind up going with that. Um, instead, my number five is actually the Prince of Persia. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Okay. Sp- specifically, Sands of Time, Prince of Persia. Um, and for a couple of reasons. A, because they've got... Someday, that Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake is maybe going to come out. Someday. Maybe. Possibly. Um, it keeps keeps getting delayed and whatnot. But, I mean, when you have a character who has got time reversal baked into their DNA, you know, when you have, like, a, a time reversal mechanic, I think you can do some really interesting things with that um, in terms of gameplay, in terms of, like, altering the battlefield and then rewinding to a previous position, taking, like, tactical advantage of the things that you just altered. It'd be pretty sick. I could kind of imagine like a little bit of time altering gameplay like that. And we should say too, as a full disclosure, the game just came out. Obviously we haven't played through the game. So some of the stuff we're talking about maybe does appear in the game in some way. Maybe some game, uh, gameplay mechanic we're talking about does appear or, you know, God forbid, maybe Davide Soliani is in the game. Who knows? We haven't played through it yet. Um, it just came out. So kind of, you know, give us a break. <laughs> Thank but, you, Nintendo gods. If that's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. But um but yeah, I would love to see the Prince of Persia kind of, you know, building up to the Sands of Time remake, which I hope is like everything we wanted. That game is amazing, and I would just love to see some kind of like time manipulation gameplay worked into the strategy. I think it would be pretty cool. Nice. So yeah, so I was thinking about that. Um, my number four, and I agree with you, I do want to see more villains mm-hmm. in the game. Um, there were a lot of people who were kind of like looking for some kind of facsimile of Wario and Waluigi, right? Like something. Well, Rabbit Wario and Rabbit Waluigi show up toward the end of the first game. Yeah, the Bawario and Bawaluigi or whatever it is. Yep, that's such um, a great fight too. Yeah, so it would be cool to see the actual Wario in this game in a full, like, dedicated DLC, specifically because I think it would be really cool if you were to base it on WarioWare. I figured Um, you were going to say that. Well, and yeah, and not only that, um, I think it would be kind of neat and it would be kind of a nice challenge if they had, like, a WarioWare challenge mode Mm -hmm. where you actually have a very strict time limit on turns taken in specialized, kind of goofy and over-the-top, like, mini battles. Like, where you just have to act very, very quickly just like you would in WarioWare. I think that would be pretty cool. Hmm. I could kind of see, like, a challenge mode like that where you have to, you know... Where you, where you just have to act very quickly and reactionarily like you do in WarioWare. That'd be pretty sweet. And um, we've seen more Wario in general, honestly. <laughs> just just more Wario. Never a bad thing. I'm still hoping he's in the movie. We'll see. <laughs> um, but going into my number three, this is kind of my out there... Um, just just like your number three was your sort of out there Ubisoft pick, my number three is my out there Ubisoft pick. Because my number three is I want rabid Sam Fisher in this oh, game. Yes. <laughs> um, y'all know I love Splinter Cell. I, you know, I, I think I talked on the show recently um about just how much I want Splinter Cell to come back in a big bad way. Apparently, by the way, apparently they were yeah. working on a Splinter Cell game there. I, I saw this article like, yeah, the director of the Splinter Cell reboot left. I'm like, I didn't know there was a Splinter Cell reboot. So I mean, whatever Splinter Cell's up in the air and that's, that's a huge bummer for me, but I love those old Splinter Cell games. Um, and they're really, really special to me. And it would be really cool to have like a set of levels in Mario plus Rabbids where rabid Sam Fisher, it's like stealth based gameplay on dark stages. Like, that would be super cool. I would love to see, especially after we got the stealth levels in Rayman Legends, I would love to see them shake up the gameplay with, like, stealth in this game. I think that'd be I think that'd be sick. I would love to see that. Yeah, it, like, I'll, I'm with you just because it would be nice to see rabid Sam Fisher in a game that didn't make me want to punch the wall. For, uh, <laughs> for those who don't know... <laughs> Rabbit Sam Fisher has actually been playable before. That's a thing that exists that already exists in this world. Rabbit Sam Fisher is playable in TMNT Smash Up. Eric's favorite game of all time. My clearly favorite game of all time. <laughs> no sarcasm detected. Put that meter away. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it'd be great. It'd be it'd be great to see. And it would be a great, like, like you were kind of saying with Beyond Good and Evil, it'd be a great sort of make good 
for um for Splinter Cell fans, even if it isn't like teasing any sort of future potential game or whatever, it'd be great to sort of throw a bone to us Splinter Cell fans and uh, and have a little fun Splinter Cell thing with stealth based game. I mean, could you imagine a, a scenario where it's like if you played a stealth level in Mario Rabbids optimally? You're just a total ghost. Like, you're just never seen, never detected. You do it perfectly. That'd be so cool and satisfying. That'd be great. That'd be cool. Maybe they could do some day-night cycle where Rabbit Sam Fisher is stronger at night. I would just love to see the the, the cutscenes with Rabbit Sam Fisher where all the characters are talking. And you just see him kind of, like, casually descend from a rope from the top. Just, like, stealthily entering the conversation from nowhere. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. So just just more Splinter Cell stuff, please. I'll take that. <laughs> um, going into my number two, you know, our heads were in kind of similar places. The way you were thinking about Samus, mm-hmm. I was thinking about the crew from Star Fox. Oh, and okay. kind of in a similar vein where it's like, the you know, the, the whole setup of Mario Rabbids, uh, Sparks of Hope anyway, is it takes place in this sort of galactic sense you know we're, we're talking about space travel there's a you know we're talking about spaceships and and you know galaxy fights and stuff like this so um i mean what better you're talking about samus and and star fox i mean these are the perfect ip from nintendo to work into that i could totally imagine an r-wing flying up next to their spaceship in mario rabbits like that'd be super cool and then you know their ground combat would be kind of cool and interesting too, especially since we've seen the move sets of like Fox and Falco in yep. Smash Brothers. So it'd be cool to play with like their speed, their reflective shields, the and things like yeah. that. Yeah, like that'd be super neat. I would love to see that. And again, <laughs> you know, Star Fox fans need something <laughs> just to see the rabbits like bullying Slippy or something. Yes, <laughs> I would love that. That'd be so good. Yeah, I would just yeah that that'd be that'd be super cool. I would love to see that. But I could see that going into my number one though, and this is maybe this is maybe a weird pick, but when I think about a Nintendo character that has the most interesting combat use case, just in general, my number one has got to be Kirby. Like, oh my it, god, it's just got to be Kirby. <laughs> mother of god so kirby so so you're thinking like kirby would just walk up to enemies inhale them spit them back out and then just have like a different move set for every enemy or yes they would have yeah i mean you talk about a bob bomb that's the bomb copy ability you know what i mean he could even get copy abilities from his allies if you have edge on your team he could suck up edge and suddenly he's got sword so, you know okay, what I mean? so you're okay, so you're still thinking about incorporating the classic Kirby style copy abilities. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incorporate the classic style Kirby copy abilities, but apply them to the enemies and allies of this game. Obviously, Bowser, you suck him up and you've got fire. Fire. You know. Like, that'd be so cool. Like, I would just I would love to see that, especially now. Peach you know, you could just have like and edge and sword. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I exactly. Could see that. And and especially now that you've got, you know, the whole thing with, with Mario Rabbids is like, oh, Mario character's the gun. I mean, now you have the Ranger copy ability yeah, from um, from Forgotten Land. It's that's true. like a catch-all right there, <laughs> you know. True. You even got Archer with Luigi, who now has like a bow and arrow and stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, 
you know, and it makes perfect sense thematically. Kirby is all about going to other other galaxies and universes. And I mean, it's like every Kirby game, he gets sucked into some new universe. That's so it, it wouldn't even really be out of place to see Kirby in this. So, yeah, I would I would love to see that. That'd be so good. I mean, look, we're we're still technically in Kirby's 35th or 30th anniversary year or whatever it is. So, like, let's just get another. Why not? Just just another thing. Another Kirby thing here in the anniversary year. Why not? <laughs> Fair enough. So, man, going through that upgrade tree would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, that'd be a good, like, final DLC because there'd be so much room for experimentation there. Like, oh, that'd be crazy. I'm down. Would be crazy. But um, before we wrap up, do we have some honorable mentions? You know, we got a couple. There was actually a lot of really interesting ideas left on the table. Like I said, I really did think about a Just Dance character. Although, in the back of my mind, I knew that Twitter would riot if they announced a Just Dance-themed rabbit as DLC, as paid mm. content for this game. I knew that Twitter would absolutely fold in on itself, so I decided not to go with that. And as much as I, I absolutely stand by Voss as my number three, but I, I really almost picked... Rex Colt from Far Cry 3 Blood oh, Dragon. Yeah. Like a rabid version of Rex Colt and the entire DLC chapter, the entire DLC campaign is just dripping with like 80s geometry and neon. Yeah, that'd be great. I also thought for a second about Aurora from Child of Light because it's also a, a RPG and it doesn't get enough love yeah. in my opinion. That's true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was thinking about a couple different things. Um, If they were to do another Donkey Kong-themed DLC, mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, if they didn't have my girl Pauline in there, I would be personally <laughs> I, insulted. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, would, I would feel personally insulted, so have to give an honorable mention to my girl. Um, You know, again, shouting out Gino. I think Gino would actually be really cool for this game. I think um, Gino would be cool in any game, but you know. Basically, yeah. But I mean, this is, you know, you talk about the the connective tissue between, you know, a Super Mario RPG. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and Gino. And, yeah. And, a, and like a sort of gun using, <laughs> you know, Mario characters sort of before other characters did. Um, you know, I think Gino would make a lot of sense. It'd be great to see him. And it'd be great to get Yoko Shimomura, you know, since she's already involved in the project, it'd be great to get her to like do the music for that DLC. Like, that'd be really cool. Oh my God. Um, oh. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. Um, no, she's so talented. I actually can't. I, I, I can't imagine what like she's yeah. just so ridiculously talented that i was actually listening to some of her music earlier just because it's that good music that she did literally 35 years ago that's just that good oh yeah she's one of my all-time favorites she's she's one of the greats you're a queen um oh yeah oh yeah i thought about um a character from watchdogs you just you think about the hacking yeah you know I thought gameplay about that, but i kind of yeah i, I kind of put it out there but 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 who do you but who do you really go with? Like I know that I think the main character of two's name is like Marcus or something, and you know the, the main character of Watch Dogs they just never really stuck. Even though I I kind of liked the games, but the main character is never really stuck, and that's why the latest Watch Dog game there there's just no main character. You just plays everybody. So did that come out? <laughs> I don't even remember. Yeah, it did. It came out. Um, I thought about putting some characters from Arms in there. Oh. Um, 
I think that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. Like I kind of being that. able to go around cover and stuff with the arms. That'd be kind of neat. Be kind of cool. Um, and I, I hope, I hope, honestly, I hope that they're in this game just for the fans. But, um, but if they aren't, then in one of these DLCs, you, you better put Yoshi and rabid Yoshi in the game. <laughs> like you, you just have to, the, the fans are going to be, you know, you talk about rabid, the fans are really going to be rabid in that, at that point. So. The problem was, is as much as I love the first game, by the time you got Yoshi and Rabbit Yoshi, I had, too I, late. I basically had mm-hmm. my team. Yeah. I was like, yep. this is what works for me. It, it's worked in every battle that I've put them in. I'm just going to stay with this. And they just kept giving you party members. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I, was, I love Yoshi, but, th- but this works. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And so I, but, but I saw, I mean, like every Mario plus Rabbids video I make, I mean, I'm just flooded with comments. Where, where's Rabbit Yoshi and Yoshi? Blah blah blah. So, you know, people want them. So, <laughs> I mean, we had some really good ideas, but I don't know. Maybe there's a couple more good ideas out there. What do you guys think? Who would you love to see enter into the fray and Mario Plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope? We've still got a lot of DLC to look forward to, a lot more game to look forward to, and who would you like to see join? The game, you know, the very first game, like a huge chunk of the first game was very spooky themed and Halloween themed. Yes. And I do kind of hope again, Seth and I haven't had too much time to, to jump into it, but I really hope that they add another big spooky area to this title. I mean, we've only got after, I mean, after today, we've only got one more full week left of October. We've still got some spookiness to jump into, but speaking of. Speaking of, you know we couldn't let you guys go today without at least a little bit of spooky content. And boy, do we have a great one for you this week. Yes, we are joined by a very special guest in the Indie Showcase. You know, we have wanted to talk about Curse to Golf for a long time. Yeah. And, I mean, anybody who's taken a look at that game knows that, um, that there are spooky vibes all throughout. So this week in our Spooky Indie Showcase, we've got a very special guest joining us to talk about Curse to Golf right now dear listeners we are so excited to welcome a very special guest to the show this week he's the creative director of curse to golf as far as i know the first ever golf like which also (laughs) happens to be the perfect game for spooky month so please welcome to the show right now liam edwards yay (laughs) wow that was very enthusiastic indeed (laughs) welcome to all in liam thank you for joining us my friend (laughs) no my pleasure thank you so much for having me uh thank you for the kind words about coast of golf as well awesome how is it uh over there in uh, kyoto right now um it's a pretty uh chill morning uh well chill being i guess 19 degrees i'm not sure what that is in the american equivalent but it's uh (laughs) as i was mentioning before we jumped on air the weather is starting to change thankfully because kyoto summers are like six months long and they are miserable uh if you don't like heat and humidity like a british person like me so uh (laughs) thankful for that i'm actually this is a pretty short week for me actually because i'm heading up to sapporo uh, later this week, which is one of my favorite places in Japan, so I'm going to now the game's out. Now our updates are sort of shipping. Like I'm, I'm ready to just have a bit more of a vacation, which is very rare. Yeah, in video games. yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I bet it's been kind of a whirlwind 
past couple of uh of months for you since the game's launched <clears throat> yeah honestly it's been a, like a work because the the development of the game was you know shorter than the average video game development so it's kind of been a whirlwind two years if i'm honest <laughs> like it's just non-stop uh golf whether it's working on it whether it's updating it whether it's announcing it whether it's going to trade shows and then whether it's doing interviews it's uh yeah it's been like very compact compact very dense um but yeah exciting it's been really cool Nice. Yeah, well, we're, we're super excited about it. And again, this is the, the perfect game for Spooky Month. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Liam, and, and Chuhai, and sort of like how uh, what you do there and, mm. and how you got to be there. And just, just give us a little bit of a, of a synopsis, the cliff notes of Liam. Yeah, I'm not very good at cliff notes usually, but I'll do my best. <laughs> I, I feel like I've been warming myself up on every different podcast I've been on. Um, but no, uh, yeah, so my name is Liam Edwards. I'm a game designer in Kyoto, Japan. Um, so I originally moved to Japan about eight, almost eight years ago. Um, I used to previously work at Rockstar Games uh, back in the UK. So I worked mm. on like GTA 5 and stuff like that. That's sort of my background. Um, yeah. And then sort of once that, I I'd sort of, <laughs> I think anybody who's read anything about Rockstar sort of maybe knows sort of what happens inside there is maybe not good for long-term <laughs> work. Um, so after being quite tired after working on GTA 5, um, I decided to move to Japan, which is a crazy and stupid thing to do. Um, our lead programmer is waving at me as he goes past. Hey, Sean. <laughs> lead programmer, <laughs> Kirsten Golf, there, Sean. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I was uh, basically burnt out after working on GTA, so I moved to Japan. And uh, I didn't really want to work on games or anything at that point. I just wanted to do something entirely different. So moving out to Japan was kind of my way of doing that. Very quickly, I just uh, started to prototype and make games again. And uh, was really enjoying it because it's very different to working in a studio where you're, you know, this small cog in a big machine. Uh, and I started to mm -hmm. learn uh, something I didn't even realize, which is other game developers can make their own games and have creative control. That was kind of crazy what? to me. because That was, yeah, exactly. That wasn't something I was used to. Um, I, you know, we didn't really have any creative input, especially in the stuff I was doing, like QA and sort of scripting and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I just started prototyping making games and um, I would then go to events and I would meet people and I'd meet like industry legends here in Japan. And what is really nice about the Japanese industry specifically is that it's quite a small industry. So you get to know everybody uh, once you're here and you sort of put yourself out there, you get to meet a lot of people and you get introduced to a lot. So I was showing people what I was working on. I was talking about my history and uh, I got offered to come work at a studio here in Kyoto called Q Games, which is run by uh, Dylan Cuthbert, uh, former, you know, Nintendo Star Fox legendary guy. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then so I worked at Q Games and I was a, <clears throat> they call it a game planner here in Japan. So if you've ever read, you know, those Nintendo wikis and they tell you like, oh, such mm -hmm. and such was like game planner on Wind Waker or this person was the game planner for Pikmin. <laughs> uh, game planner is essentially what Japan titles game designers. Um, but the role is a little different where it's actually like a combination of being a designer and a producer. So planner really does mean, you know, you're planning not only the the design of the game and you're planning the game itself, but you're also planning the schedule and you're, you know, you're planning actually what traditionally I think Western studios would uh, more uh, say was a producer's role than anything. So mm -hmm. I was okay. a game planner and then, um, that was really fun. And then I got uh, sort of opportunities to direct or co-direct 
um, some games over there. I directed a game called Scrappers, which was an Apple Arcade title, which is soon to come to Switch and stuff, actually, which I'm really excited about. So good luck, to, good luck to that team. Uh, I'm really excited for them. And uh, then, uh, yeah, COVID hit. And I think everybody started to delve deep into whatever hobbies they could do at home that maybe they had neglected in the past, whether it's, uh, you know, I don't know, painting Warhammer or playing Magic the Gathering. I don't know, something like that. (laughs) Uh, For me, my job is kind of my hobby. I love making games. And Well, there you go. um, So back to when I moved to Japan for the first time, I just started prototyping again. I just started making stuff at home uh, in my free time because I had a lot of it. Um, And I just started prototyping this uh, dungeon... Well, it started with a sort of question of like, why has nobody made a physics roguelike before? <laughs> because it was a bad idea, right? Because it was a really stupid idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a really stupid idea. Combining two of like the most RNG things in the world. Well, physics is not RNG. It's complete maths, right? You can work it out, but it always seems random, right? When you throw a ball, it seems random where it'll land. Um an RNG from a, a roguelike, you know, combining those two things together is like a, is a recipe for a terrible time. And so I don't know why, but I stuck with it and I just started to make, uh, I was like laying out Metroid style dungeons and then I was like bouncing a ball and it was always 2d. I don't know why it was always 2d. Um, but it, I, I was sort of streaming on Twitch and developing it at the same time just for fun. And it started out as sort of a game boy esque prototype. Um, okay. And then very quickly, I, I sort of realized, I was like, oh, this is kind of like golf. Like you're setting the power, you're setting the angle. It felt like, um, I think it's Wario Land 3, maybe, mm. uh, with the, the golf mini game in that. Um, oh, okay. It okay. could be the wrong game, but one of the WarioWare games, uh, Wario games, not the WarioWare games, the Wario games has like a, a golf mini game that's like 2D side on. And uh <clears throat> yeah, it was. It, it felt like that, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is kind of cool." And I just stuck with it, and I was just playing around, and then it became a game that was like kind of tough and challenging to wrap. A long story short, I made like a nine-hole demo of it, and I launched it on a place called Itch.io, which is like yep. a free hosting website for video games for people to upload their games. And yeah, it just kind of went sort of like I guess viral on Twitter as games can do. Uh, had like 10,000 people play it. It got the moniker of the Dark Souls of golf games, which was hilarious <laughs> that even IGN used that tagline once, which was so funny. Um, not that you ever want that to be the moniker of any game you make um, for fear of wrath from others. But uh, yeah, that made it get uh, noticed by publishers and people who wanted uh, more out of it. And uh, thankfully, one of those publishers was Thunderfall Games, who had done the SteamWorld Dig games. Um, specifically, uh, the guy who worked over there was a guy uh, called Ed Valiente, who had previously worked at Nintendo of Europe. And he had said to me the magic words, which was, this feels like a Nintendo game. So yeah. as soon as he said that, I was like, Great, you're the guy. Like, what do we do? How do we do this? <laughs> and uh, yeah, not to bring Japanese bureaucracy and the difficulties of taking a load of money to make a video game uh, as a person, uh, I essentially needed a partner in building this. And one of the my greatest colleagues that I worked with for years uh, at Q Games, a guy called Mark Lentz, who is the uh, business manager and biz dev wizard producer extraordinaire over here at Chuhai, uh, he was like, hey, come to Chuhai. We'll make this together. We'll build a team. 
we'll use this as like the leaping pad for our new branding of the studio, which was previously Vitae Backroom to now Chuhai Labs. And, and you know, we'll, you'll, this will be the first game that we launch. Um, that's like our big deal. And yeah, so we, I came to Chuhai, which is another studio here in Kyoto, which is ran by Giles Goddard. And uh, we built a team and we worked on Coastal Golf for a year and a half and launched it in August of this year. Yeah. How did that feel to have so much, uh, to, to have so like that kind of reaction from your game? Like basically at every step, you have so many people playing it, so much interest and so much positive reception from this little, you know, <laughs> Dark Souls golf style game that you made. Um, it, it's been interesting because you, like a human nature, you, you're always surprised, but then you always want more, right? <laughs> like you immediately want, um, more you want it to keep going and, and that train to keep going and it did and it was very strange that it just kept going like from the announcement onwards um i don't know because our expectations were so low in the beginning because it was for thunderfall it was you know i guess we'd call it like a catalog game it's not going mm. to be it's never in there uh if we're if we're talking the realities of game development and kind of the uglier side is that it wasn't like their big seller they weren't banking the farm on it that it was something to be in their catalog of games that they'll sell like on steam or switch and they'll make long-term you know economy on it but it's not something they're going to be promoting extensively right it was they were signing this small golf game that they thought was going to be the cheap to make and also it will go out and might find an audience and stuff like that always easy to take a risk on those things and for me at the time i'm just really happy because oh my god i've signed a video game that's mine yeah, right? yeah this is amazing i i don't have any expectations out of this i just get to make it which i think is always the first step that so many people just want to get over it's your gta 5 exactly exactly right and i have full creative control and i i can't believe i get to make this and say you know i was the director i was the designer and the creator of this this is going to be awesome no matter where it ends up um but it wasn't really until the announcement when we We'd got IGN had offered us like a they do like an exclusive announcement trailer or something where they'll put you on the front page and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, So we really had to quickly make a trailer and stuff like that. Uh, But once that hit and like I think you sort of said in your title, we we realized very quickly there isn't really a game like Costa Golf or there wasn't at the time. Um, and, and we did really lean hard into being like, well, we're making something that is a golf like we're going to we're, we're just going to throw right. a new word at you that you understand because <laughs> you know what roguelike is, you know what souls like is and you know what golf is. So if we combine golf and like together, you understand that it's not quite a golf game and it's not quite a roguelike, but it is it, this thing that you can identify with. Uh, and yeah, that worked. And yeah, the reception to the announcement blew as a way because it was easily 10 to 100 times more than we ever expected which then in in thunderful our publisher's eyes propelled it way forward (laughs) in their plans (laughs) than it was maybe prior if you think of a stacked list of titles it maybe went from near the bottom to very near the top um, which meant that we got a lot more opportunities to be at trade shows we got a lot more opportunities to be front and center in front of people's faces uh, whether it's uh, you know, being promoted on Steam or uh, getting uh, a Nintendo Indie World spot or all those kind of yeah. things that thanks yeah. to the announcement, yeah, was really good. And then the previews from the trade shows, well, the first time people played it was really, really positive. 
And yeah, then it just kind of carried on going from there. And it was up to us to deliver a game then finally that would be good or at least match expectations. And I hope that we've done that in some way. Nice. Well, I, I specifically want to ask you about one thing you said uh, a few minutes ago that you knew you wanted to work with Thunderful when they likened your game to a Nintendo game. What specifically about that was clicked for you? What specifically about them thinking of your game as a Nintendo game made you want to work with them? Um, I mean, a, a putting aside the fact that I'm a huge Nintendo fanboy, um, <laughs> like I, I, I grew up, you know, pretty much predominantly basing everything around Nintendo from designs to my you know, friends or hobbies or whatever, everything, some form goes back to my life has been dictated by my love of Nintendo over the years. Um, When I worked at Rockstar, you know, I had great friends who we'd literally like have pizza nights where we'd watch Nintendo Direct and and, and play Smash. So I always feel like Nintendo has been somewhat a huge part of my existence. I'm very nostalgic as a person anyway, or sentimental. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I get to sort of sit back and be like, wow, I I live in Kyoto, Japan, making video games. This is as Nintendo as it gets. Um, But one thing that... um, becomes very apparent when you work in the Japanese industry. And I don't think we talk about this enough. You know, there are problems everywhere and Nintendo has problems themselves, but with those things stems philosophy. And there is a philosophy to design that I think game studios in Kyoto have that nowhere else in the world has. Sometimes that's problematic because maybe it's a little lost in not, uh, not progressing uh, fast enough or, or stuff like it's very traditional. You know, we, mm-hmm. we know Nintendo are quite a traditional company. We oh, know yes. their design can be very traditional, but that's because the formula works, right? But they have, um, in Japan, they call it meri, merihari, the nature of merihari, which is like the nature of like the ups and downs. Um, mm. So like the game design of Nintendo is always very up and down, right? You do a... You know, you do a Zelda dungeon, you find a piece, you go lock a door, and then it's like this slow moment where the door opens and you you sort of, you move into the next area, but it's all very calm, you feel safe. And Mario's the same, you run around, you get the star, and then it'll like throw you out of the picture in Mario 64, and then you'll take a moment to have a breather, and then you jump back in. And you can probably see that trend throughout uh, most Nintendo games um, for the most part which maybe doesn't exist in other video games. So there's definitely like a philosophy that like that started with Nintendo that sort of oozes through Kyoto and Japan in general as a game design philosophy. Um, so I definitely have been influenced by that, not only just by growing up playing Nintendo games, but also getting to work extensively on Japanese video games and being involved with people who have worked at Nintendo or have, you know, learned from literally you know, Miyamoto-san himself and stuff like that. So yeah. what I've been taught is very similar to that. So when somebody plays a game I've made, and I, what was so great about Crystal Golf coming out is a lot of people also highlighting this, is that people could see the thorough line of like, oh, this is like, a, this it seems like it feels like it's made by Nintendo or, or, you know, or we can see the similarities. It's because that philosophy came through. So when Ed said to me this feels like a nintendo game and you know i base a lot of my design ideas around nintendo design and he worked at nintendo it felt like okay what i'm doing is not wrong like i'm right in the way i'm sort of thinking about video games or 
if someone compliments me in that kind of way, you know, positively or negatively, I always feel like if someone says it feels like a Nintendo game, that's a compliment. Um, it did feel like, oh, great. The hard work I'm putting in for it to sort of match that kind of quality bar is coming through. And yeah, that that's why it was such a sort of really big moment when he said that. So do you feel that once, you know, once that connection was made, that that drove your direction for the game to be more of a kind of Nintendo adjacent experience? Uh, not necessarily drove me to be more like that, but just to carry on the way I was going to not okay. really. Uh, sometimes I think people can waver. Like what's difficult is so many games get released all the time and, and so many, you know, let's, yeah. you know, trombone champ, for example, recently came out the trombone <laughs> game, which is amazing. Yep. And, and, and <laughs> yes. I, it, it was weird because not, I wasn't one of the first, but I was one of the ver- first viral tweets about that game that went like I had like 10,000 likes on a tweet about that game because that game was in that moment so like clicking for so many people. Um, but like if you look at the design of it, it's it's an incredibly simple but well executed idea. It's, it's fantastic. Um, but there are so many games and you could look at that and be like, damn, why don't we have me like characters in our game that hark back to like Nintendo and people can fondly think of that and like, Oh, why don't I do this? And I think people get lost in trying to look at other successes and try to emulate them uh, too much, especially in indie where one game will come out, whether it's like a Stardew Valley or something like that. And then you'll see that's fair. 10 other Stardew Valleys after that, uh, but they never reach the heights of that first one. So I think, um, the conversation with Ed and the way we went forward with Coast to Golf was to literally just carry on doing what we're doing. Don't worry about anybody else. This will find its place somewhere. And, you know, the game comes out, people say, hey, this feels like it has Nintendo polish. This feels like it, it belongs on a Nintendo Switch. Yada, yada. It, it means that we succeeded in, in sort of carrying on that philosophy, which we stuck with. So do you think a big part of that was, despite the fact that you said yourself that making a physics roguelike was a stupid idea, do you think the uniqueness of that idea and the direction that you guys were going, do you think that that was just a big driving force is knowing you guys were doing something new and different and bringing something fresh to the industry? Yeah, for sure. It's always going to help you. Uh, I'm not detached from reality in the the space with which I make games. I'm not Nintendo, so therefore people are not going to pay attention to everything I do. I am an indie developer and we have to fight hard alongside every other indie developer to get noticed. So the more mm-hmm. your game stands out and the more it's different from other games, the better chance you have of that. So we were never really worried that Kostogov wouldn't get noticed in some way. It would you know, it's a different game for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Our main concern was that somebody will watch a trailer for a new game like Curse to Golf and they'll be like, I I can see what they're doing, but it's not something I've seen before. Therefore, I don't have a comparison in my head, which is good. Like, I think when you look at it, like a, a trailer for any game, you can be like, oh, that's kind of like Spelunky. Spelunky's good. Therefore, this game could be good too. Whereas with Curse to Golf, it was like, well, there's no other game like it. Therefore, I have no idea whether it will be good, which is always risky because there's no comparison, no successful comparison for them, for a player to be like, oh, that could be good. So our task was always to convince them that this new idea could be good because we could have easily failed, right? It could just be, oh, golf roguelikes don't work. <laughs> and this is a failed <laughs> experiment that 
this is a failed experiment, right? That, that doesn't work. Um, but no, it, what was our task were, and, and the hardest one of all was to convince people that this new idea could be something that works. So for us, it really was a struggle about balancing it and making sure that it worked and and taking, making sure we knew that it was a, a, a stupid idea, but with enough work on it and enough like testing and enough playing and uh, enough rejigging we could get it to a point where it felt fair it felt good it's a hard game but it's a game that works and uh yeah i hope we did that and we hope we proved that golf roguelikes are a thing that can exist <laughs> yeah no definitely you certainly stand alone in the golf like genre i will say that <laughs> i think you've i think you've pretty much got staked your claim on that we were curious about the the balance i mean you mentioned kind of the the process of like uh, of balancing this game you've got all the different cards and abilities and things what was it like i have to imagine it was really difficult to balance a a golf like <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was really, really hard. Because <laughs> um, it goes back to that. If there's no comparison for you to look at and be like, okay, that's how they're doing it, then you're on your own mm-hmm. and you just have to figure it out and be the first. And for us, it was a case of, okay, well, there's nothing out there other than roguelikes that we can look at for balance. So we can look at progression and we can sort of understand like time versus reward versus uh, amount of deaths, yada, yada, yada. Like some, you know, basic formulas of how like, how does Spelunky work? How does Noita work? How does Slay the Spire work? Um, and we can sort of figure out like, you know, per hour, how far is the player getting? What progression are they making? What are they getting as rewards? Mm. How often? How often are they game overing? Um, and you can look at basic stuff like that. But when it comes to, you know, trying to balance this, it was it was really tough because how lo- we have, you know, various different questions everything comes down to like a bullet point question which is like how long does a player spend in the hole if there's 18 Mm. holes and the player spends a minute per hole is your game 18 minutes long or or is it a case that the player spends an average of five minutes therefore you know it becomes a two-hour game and so you got that kind of balance but then if the player is in the hole for five to ten minutes you know how easy it is for them to game over and how much progress do they lose and then you're you know, you're, you're like working backwards, but everything comes off these bullet point questions that you have to answer. And for us, it was always like basically rewriting those questions and then asking ourselves again and again and again, you know, what happens if the player spends X amount of time in a hole? What if they game over? What if they succeed? What is the reward for that, you know, for succeeding? What is the penalty for failure? How harsh is that penalty? How good is the reward to make them carry on going? Yeah, lots and lots of questions we had to ask ourselves and and then keep asking. And we're still asking to this day uh, when we work on it. Because, of course, you know, no game is perfect. And ours is a great example of that. You know, a lot of people really, really vibe with the difficulty and really, really enjoy it for what it is. And then a lot of people just really want to play a golf game and they can't vibe with the way Curse to Golf's golf is structured. So, you know, it's not about trying to make everybody happy, but we're trying to still keep asking those questions of, those basic things. Uh, and that's where the balance comes from. That's really interesting. I, and, you know, it does strike me too. And something that I feel like we should say that might be, um, that might not be obvious from the, from the outset, if you take a look at Curse to Golf, and even though the game does have roguelike elements, like you've been talking about, and you, you sort of look at these other roguelike games to create a golf, like, um, you might, 
look at it and assume that the levels are also procedurally generated. And it sounds mm. like they aren't. It's actually designed levels. You're just getting them in a random set. Is that right? Yeah. So that's kind of one of the, the basic only misconceptions about the game. And actually, my life would have right. been way easier if it worked like this. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it, random, it, it is not randomly generated. No, not like a traditional roguelike mm-hmm. in the sense of Spelunky or, or something that uses random generation for its world design, uh, which is something we experimented with. Um, I experimented it in my very early prototype. Um, I'm just not a very good programmer, so I couldn't make it work. So I handcrafted the <laughs> levels. Uh, but then when we have our real programmer, Sean, um, who is our lead programmer, you know, we tried it. But the reality is there's no algorithm that we could really find that suited what we wanted, which is the ability mm-hmm. to have the player have the opportunity to hit different types of shots whether it's hitting a long shot with a driver and balancing that with an iron shot to then a wedge shot to you know having uh, sometimes options to how to use these different cards you know like do you have a rocket ball card or do you have like a portal card or do you have an ice ball you know presenting the player with options based on the cards they have at their deck at any time there just was never really an algorithm that's like a catch-all for us where it made sense right and golf requires big wide open spaces like if you think of a golf course they're huge for a reason yeah yeah they're massive um but they present smaller challenges depending on where your ball lands whether it lands in in the rough or it lands in a bunker or lands in water etc in that tiny space that you're in right now you have a problem and uh these algorithms you know sort of the algorithms we were using to build generation could never present to us uh you know a big wide open space combined with a maze like area, right? Like you can only Mm -hmm. tweak it so far to kind of get to that point. So we just committed to making so many levels that you would never really feel the repetition of one because you, you would see a hole um, and then maybe that hole would never appear for another, you know, three to five hours of play because there are other holes that would be, added into the pool so yeah the way it works is i i handcrafted or you know <laughs> level designed uh 70 level plus, planned yeah level planned <laughs> 70 plus <laughs> holes um oh my gosh they're all handcrafted by me um so when you a player can only ever experience 18 in a successful run so in that 18 you are missing you know 52 holes potentially um so the way it works is that every hole that I designed has a like a corresponding difficulty level. So it depends what area it is. So area one is the one that, the, you know, biome one, as we call it, the purgatory area, which is the Castlevania looking place. Um, that has a larger pool of holes because it's the place the players will experience the most. So that has uh, potentially 40 different holes that you can play. And of those 40 holes every single one of them has a corresponding difficulty. So this is kind of where it gets compl- complicated for me to say because the word hole will be used multiple times. But a, <laughs> but a, so the game is structured over 18 holes. So mm-hmm. I think of those as like slots, like level slots. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. so like hole one that you would always play has the difficulty of very easy because it's the first hole. So mm-hmm. then of all of the 70 levels I've designed, any one of them in area one that has uh, the tag of very easy 
will be randomized and then one of them will be selected and put into that slot for that run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes on. So like a whole two of the run is then very easy or easy. So the pool becomes bigger and then it goes to easy and then it goes to where the boss fight traditionally would be. Um, if there's no boss fight, then it selects a difficulty normal. So then all the holes that are tagged as normal get randomized and then selected. So the the way we what we call it is we call it randomly ordered. So that that is that's the way it works to us. It it's randomly ordered. So it's like and we and we narratively play on it a little bit in the game where we have the 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 antagonist of the game is a guy called the greenskeeper. He's like this little devil um mm-hmm. and he's basically shifting golf purgatory around like a labyrinth. Uh and that's sort of the narrative explanation as to why maybe you'll see a hole again, but maybe you won't see it again. Um and the reason we have sort of uh, cinematic openings to every hole is because we want you to recognize holes that you have played before. And maybe you notice things like, oh, I've been here before. I know how to get through this hole. And that makes the game a little easier. Familiarity always makes you a bit more confident. Um, so yeah, sort of all these things came together nicely. I think it was the best thing to do. Because um, mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah, it could have been a nightmare. Balancing a, <laughs> a, balancing a randomly generated uh, game is infinite because you have no idea what it, it's supposedly infinite, right? Random generation is infinite, uh, so that would have been a nightmare for us, I think. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely imagine. For me, it actually makes it more more of an attractive proposition, knowing that the levels were handcrafted and hand designed. Because I mean, you know, Splunky notwithstanding, Splunky has like fairy dust on it. Like that game's just magical. <laughs> I don't even know how it works. But you know, to to have something that is actually handcrafted, I think, is important. And, and you talk about the sort of narrative setup of Curse to Golf. And it's it's kind of amazing that we haven't even really talked about that yet. But Curse to Golf is not, um, you know, it's, it's not your average narrative setup. I mean, you, you start the game, you're this golf champ killed by lightning right at the end of a champion tournament. You're greeted by this Scotsman ghost that takes you to golf purgatory. I mean... Like you do. Was there ever, like... Like you do, just average, you know, run-of-the-mill <laughs> golf game. Was there ever, like, how how early on in the conception did that sort of narrative come into play? Was it originally just going to be, like, a standard golf game, or was it always going to be this kind of spooky purgatory narrative? Um, It was always sort of the narrative. Not the narrative, but the theming, Um, because the original mm-hmm. prototype I made was uh, entirely inspired by Castlevania. Like I just wanted it to look like Castlevania because I, that's the aesthetic I really, really like. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I really like super Castlevania four and I just <laughs> like the way it looks. Okay. And so when I yeah. made the original prototype, I just wanted to theme it like that. So I just thought of like a ghost golfer who's trapped in these dungeons and has to golf their way out. So that theme was always what it was going to be. It works really nicely for pixel art. Um, so yeah, yeah, we just stuck with that. And then what happens with those things is then you sort of realize, oh, okay, we need to sort of do some explaining as to why these things happen. Uh, and we had the opportunity via a tutorial to, uh, basically say, Hey, you're this real great champion. You know, you're potentially the greatest of all time. uh, And now this really unfortunate thing has caused you to go down to hell or purgatory. And now you have to golf your way out. And from there, we needed uh, characters to help tutorialize the game. And we needed to sort of give the, 
player, you know, friendly uh, prods to be like, hey, you can do it. You totally can do it. We know the game's tough, but you can do it. And uh, that's where the Scotsman came along uh, because he's quite jolly and he's, he looks kind of friendly. And we wanted somebody who can just, you know, reassure you that everything will be okay. And then uh, we just sort of realized that we could theme each area around the character and build on from that. And it, it wasn't a case of trying to go out of our way. And we definitely had to cut a lot more than we did have. Um, mm. Yeah, so maybe we've been off a bit more than we could chew, uh, but yeah, it was <laughs> it was fun sort of create, crafting this really almost unnecessary narrative for what the game is, uh, <laughs> but I'm glad it's there. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad it's there. And a lot of people, I think, really enjoyed you know, the fact that we just killed this poor guy in the beginning. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, the whole, yeah, getting to ascend and, and get out. It gives it a little more life than what just playing golf. Ironically enough. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically <laughs> enough. Yeah. It, and it gives the player a lot more reason to keep going too. Yeah. It reminds, it's the, it's like the intro to pocket card jockey. It's like, I don't know if you ever played that, but that's how that starts. Just immediately your main character dies. It's like, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> don't, don't mess. Don't, don't most of the best stories start that way anyway, though. Hey, it's all about that redemption, right? Like, you know. Exactly. You, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. When we had fun with it, we had uh, even more hilarious is we had an incredibly talented uh, narrative designer helping um, Liz Mobley, who works at actually Obsidian on like professional, super oh my huge gosh. RPGs. And she's a very good friend and she offered to sort of help me build <laughs> build out <laughs> this sort of world and lore and she made some incredible backstories to the uh npc characters and they all have like they all have narrative ties to real mythological people in real golf uh you mm -hmm. know the scotsman Whoa. is based the scotsman's the easiest one he's based on uh the guy called old tom morris who's basically the the father of golf um a scottish guy who built uh, the St. Andrew's course, which is no notoriously known as the home of golf. So there's all sorts of, uh, all sorts of <laughs> really, really, uh, deep lore to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that must've been so much fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It was really, really fun. Visually, obviously, you know, you've talked about how much you love Castlevania, but trying to flesh out the entire visual identity of Curse to Golf, what were some of the other kind of inspirations there when you were looking, you know, beyond just the first couple courses? Um, for the, the, the first one was always set, so it was always going to be this purgatory theme, uh, like Castlevania, mm -hmm. just because I really, really enjoy it. Uh, and um, it, it worked nicely. And John, our incredible pixel artist who worked on the game, uh, you know, he hit the mock-up he made. That's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. The mock-up he made for an art test just looks so good. And, and, and we were like, yep, that's the way we're going to do it. Um, but the, uh, the other areas, other than we knew that hell would always be the final area, mm -hmm. um, the, the other two areas are more based on actual and this is going to sound weird because they don't necessarily look like it, but they're based on actual, you know, uh, golf course uh, types, I guess. Um, so in golf, um, you have essentially two different types of golf courses in the world. So you have what is known as parkland golf courses, and then you have links golf courses. And parkland golf courses are golf courses that you sort of see uh, are in forests. They're surrounded by trees. They are essentially like, a park uh, um, and they tend to be a bit more forgiving the grass is a lot more 
uh, firm and nice and stuff like that. And then links golf courses, which are traditionally golf courses on sort of next to beaches or on the seaside or on coastal towns and stuff like that. They are the golf courses that are uh, notoriously difficult. They are some of the most, some of the most famous professional golf courses are links golf courses. And then the sand is a bit, uh, sorry, the grass is mixed in a bit with sand and the, and the, the sort of, uh, I don't know, the areas, the rough and areas around it are notoriously difficult. Um, so the two areas were based around archetypes of golf courses. So area two, of course, is, is the Lynx style golf courses. There's a lot of sand. It is really <laughs> overly sandy. And there are these giant bunkers <laughs> and giant sand dunes. And this is meant to be like a Lynx golf course. And then the third area, the course is a little more tight. The holes, the level design requires you to hit more tight shots. Um, and that is more like parkland golf courses where there are trees everywhere that are going to sort of, you know, mean that you have to hit more uh, more precise golf shots and stuff like that. So, yeah, they were they spawned out of essentially those two golf ar- archetypes uh, in real life. Uh, not that they are actually, apart from maybe the second area, which is, you know, very heavily sandy, which could pass as a Lynx golf course. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, I think, I don't know if it comes across maybe, but that's what they were based on. <laughs> well, it seems like you're somewhat of a, a real life sports fan, at least a little bit. I've seen you tweet about uh, uh, football a couple times. Any chance that uh, maybe cursed to soccer, cursed to football could be a follow-up? <laughs> Thank you, Juan, for calling it football. I really appreciate you uh, localizing it <laughs> specifically for me. Uh, yeah, if it's not clear, we're talking about soccer because I have no idea about American football whatsoever. Um, yeah, no, I really, I really, really like because uh, it's hilarious because a lot of people ask me, well, you must really like golf. And the reality is actually I, I did when I was a kid and then I completely hated the sport for years up until ironically, I started playing golf again because of this game and now I'm enjoying it a bit more. Uh, but yes. uh, yeah, for, Football is something I I love uh, and always have. Um, I don't know if football translates very well to video games unless they are something like FIFA or Pro Evolution, where you know the physics and the animations are so expensive, and only huge teams can make um, those types of games. You know, we don't see many indie soccer games either, probably for that reason. Um, there's definitely a reason why. I think maybe even you know. The most indie of soccer games is probably Nintendo Mario Strikers, really. And even that is, you know, requires a huge team and years to make. Um, There's something about soccer games that scares me. Um, You know, the physics and the animations and the polish and everything. It looks really expensive and really heavy. I don't know. I did. It's funny you say that because I did have ideas about a soccer roguelike um, off the back of Coast of Golf and, and us basically crafting a name for ourselves as the people who fuck up other sports. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure. Maybe, 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 but yeah, it scares me. Uh, the ideas are there, but who knows? Well, it's, it's just the kind of, uh, quote, really stupid idea that that could, you know, that, that could take off and work, right? You never know. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It could it possibly could. Um, I don't know if it would be, I don't know if a soccer-like or football-like 
works as well as golf-like, but uh, mm -hmm. there's definitely ideas there. I think there are some things that are all already work. I, I'm, I'm not going to give my ideas away for free, but you know, right, golf, right. Um, football is structured a lot of the time, you know, tournament style, right? And tournaments are a roguelike. You know, you lose in a tournament, you're out. That's it. Game over. So why That's not That's an interesting have, way to put it. Yeah, I, exactly, right? If you play in the World Cup or you play in the Champions League or something, like if you lose, that's it. You're out. So what if you World had Cup a... World an IRL roguelike. My entire an IRL, Here you go. <laughs> it's an IRL... My entire perception of sports has <laughs> just been IRL soccer roguelike, right? Um, wow. So yeah, what if you had a game that was structured around tournaments and you know you had to build up to a point where there was no return? Um there, uh, there was uh, games by Level 5 a long time ago called Inazuma 11. Um, mm -hmm. Famous series, which I really enjoyed. Um, and uh, I always thought you could build something off the structure of that and into sort of then matching this sort of tournament roguelike structure. And you, yeah, there's a balance to... There's a game there somewhere. There, there's definitely a game somewhere. I don't know. I don't think everything has to be a roguelike, but because um, <laughs> everything is a roguelike these days uh, and yeah, you know, we're, sure. part of, we're part of that problem uh, we took something <laughs> that maybe doesn't need to be a roguelike and then but that's what makes you're making a golf like it's fine it's a golf like it's different it's different it's different are you sure. um are you thinking I, I know you just you know wrapped and released curse to golf but are, are you already kind of thinking about the next thing or is it just kind of like break mode now is it just you know finally I can breathe well, unfortunately, the reality is that video game development never ends. So we're just working on Kirsten Golf stuff mm -hmm. at the moment. Uh, we, uh, I don't know when the, this recording goes out, but um, we should, if we do our jobs correctly, there should be a big update coming to Kirsten Golf in the next couple of weeks to tie into Halloween. Oh, cool. It's not a Halloween specific thing, but we will be going on sale for, on Steam during Halloween. Uh, and we will have a nice update with... A lot of things that people have requested, a lot of quality of life updates. Um, we have two new modes coming. One of them is the practice mode, which allows you to play the game with your own okay. rules. So you can, if the game's too hard for you, you can you can you can practice in this mode by playing the golf holes with you know rules that you've set for yourself. Um, and then the new road, uh, the new additional mode is more like a new game plus. This is an additional mode called remix mode, which is a bunch of the first area stages that are now mega mega hard all handcrafted by me to be as difficult as they possibly could be. Um, and Love it, it. And nice. it is a case of, uh, yeah, these are like new game pluses. So we got, we got a couple of new things coming and then, yeah, we're going to carry on working on some hopefully major updates for sometime next year. <laughs> You're going to make an awesome live action commercial style video for that update too. <laughs> Oh, you know it. Yeah, of course. That's uh, that's the Chu Highway, right? Yeah, we 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 really enjoy doing those things, and we're glad that people enjoy watching them, even if they don't play the game. Weirdly enough, people look forward to those videos, even if they don't play Coastal Golf, which is baffling. But yeah, no, uh, 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 yeah, we'll definitely do that. Actually, we should be filming it today, I think. Oh, nice. That's great. <laughs> we, well, we're looking forward to that. Well, Liam, we do have one final question that we kind of ask. Anytime we get the chance to uh, sit down with an indie dev, we, we always like to ask this. This is a complete hypothetical, mm. of course. But if Nintendo approached you and they said, hey, Liam, we want you to make, if you got a, uh, a random email and said, hey, Liam, we want you to make a game based on any of our IP, <laughs> which would you choose and why? 
What's hilarious about this question, because it's not the first time I've been asked, but it, it, it's hilarious. what's hilarious okay. about this question is I think I'm more in a position than most people for this to become a reality. Right, so I'm, exactly, all, yeah. I'm always nervous. Um, <laughs> hypothetical Nintendo. Yeah, hypothetical, totally hypothetical. Nintendo. <laughs> Even though we, yeah, Vitae previously was, you know, like a Nintendo second party kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I go back and forth because I, I wouldn't really want to do it but I would do it if offered just to say I did it, even if it turned out terribly. Um, I've always really thought I could make either a good WarioWare game or a good Rhythm Heaven game. And oh nice. my gosh. Nice. A man after my own heart. Yeah, so I wouldn't want to tackle anything like Zelda because that's pointless because I, I couldn't direct a Zelda. I couldn't, I couldn't direct a Mario um, unless it was a Mario spinoff. Um, so... Yeah, something like a WarioWare. I I have had I've had a game idea for a long time that nearly was a VR game actually. Um that was that's heavily inspired by WarioWare and it's it's almost the first video game prototype I came up with like 10 years ago and so I've always wanted to deliver on that game and it's heavily inspired by WarioWare. So maybe I maybe WarioWare. Not that that would oh. sell or anything in these days, so <laughs> Nintendo are not going to yeah. offer that. <laughs> Tell me about it. This is just this is just for fun. This is just you know Doug Bowser. If you want to call Liam up, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely WarioWare. <laughs> then I think because personally, how much fun could you have making that game? Thinking of all those crazy mini game ideas, I've always oh really enjoyed. Because the uh, is it Smooth Moves, the one on the Wii. Yeah, that's yes. the that's the best one to me, just because of all the different ways you have to hold the Wii and the with the uh, Wii the remote. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so much fun. Um, there was less of that with the joy cons i think in the latest one which kind of disappointed me Mm -hmm. i would just want to make something that you know does that again which is crazy crazy ways of holding a a controller or experimenting with the different things a controller can do and then something more akin to like one two switch or something but better yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) that but good (laughs) uh yeah i i don't know i feel like with warrior you could have something that crosses between warrior and rhythm heaven as well um because they're you know they're mini games and thinking all the different things you could do would be a lot of fun as a game developer there's nothing boring there a cross between WarioWare and Rhythm Heaven, you may have just conceptualized the perfect game in Seth's eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're 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 speaking my language, my friend. That's for sure. Holy cow! Well, when Nintendo unfortunately called me up to have to do it, then I'll, I'll ask you some some questions. There you go. Please do. Please do. I would be happy to assist. Oh, that's awesome. That that may be my favorite answer we've gotten to this question so far on a personal level. I'll just say that. Uh, awesome. Well, Liam, uh, we appreciate it so much. How can people follow you online and keep up with you and, and everything Cursed to Golf? Uh, yeah, the easiest way is you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am Liam BME. The, just the letters B M E after my name, uh, or you can follow the game at Curse to Golf. Even easier. Um, but actually, I tweet more from my account, so it's probably easier. So if you like games, you like Curse to Golf, you like Japan, you can yeah follow me there. Uh, and you can if you have an email about something, you can email me Liam at Vite, which is V I T E I. <laughs> Liam at Vite.com. No wonder we changed that name. God, what a terrible name. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it's pretty easy. You can also, weirdly enough, you can Google me and that I'm sure there'll be a way to contact me. Oh, there you go. 
<laughs> there you go. Or you can just check the episode description because I will, of course, have links to everything, Liam, in the episode description. And uh, just a just a total treat. I think the passion really comes through for this little golf-like available on the Nintendo Switch with updates to come. But uh, let's roll off the red carpet one last time for Liam Edwards. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much that was awesome thank you for having me thank you liam thank you very much good luck with everything hope you get some downtime soon but uh i'm gonna eat some eat some as they call it Genghis khan in in japan which is like the (laughs) oddest name in the world but it's like lamb and you can only eat it in sapporo and they call it Genghis khan for whatever reason uh so yeah gonna eat a load of that and not think about video games for a while there you go. Well, congratulations go. on all the success that Curse to Golf has enjoyed. Cannot wait to see what you guys have in store next. Uh, thank thank you. you again. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. That was a great chat with Liam. We've been looking forward to, to this for a while. Mm-hmm. We've wanted to have him on to talk Curse to Golf and tell you guys all about this special little game for a long time. So uh, go out there, especially with that Halloween update coming out. Definitely the perfect time to play some Curse to Golf. Yeah, definitely make sure to check out everything they have going on there over at Chew High Labs. Chew Highs and Liam's Twitter handles will be in the episode description. Make sure to check them out. Give them some love. And, you know, maybe you know, it's a spooky season, a little Halloween. Maybe give us some spooky love over at, mm-hmm. uh, at All In Podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, YouTube.com slash All In Podcast as well, where, incidentally enough, you can watch us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Go over this past week in nintendo news make sure to check that out live every friday night at eight at youtube.com slash all in podcast but if you can't catch us live on youtube you can still enjoy this amazing podcast we put together all in a nintendo podcast which you can like follow and subscribe to over on google play itunes spotify anchor just everywhere whenever you whenever and wherever you get your podcasts from uh we are there But if you want to help out a couple insane Nintendo content creators, if you like what we're doing over here at All In, why don't you consider becoming a patron? Yes, your support goes a long way at patreon.com slash allinpodcast. We've got three tiers over there. Check us out. See what works for you. Exclusive podcasts, shout outs, voting rights, early access, behind the scenes, all kinds of things going on at patreon.com slash all in podcast your monetary support means the world you're literally making the dream come true if you can throw a few bones our way but if you have no bones to throw if you're boneless you can still support us as well completely for free did you know that eric i did indeed you know what i'm like Jon snow i don't know many things i know nothing in fact i've been told but i do know this i do know this you do know this you do know that they can drop some words. Over on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible, you can leave us five-star written reviews. And on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. And it is a super free and super easy way to let the world know exactly what you think about us. Nice things only, though. Only nice things that you think about us. And uh, if you do that, I will shout you out on the show and read your review. And um, yeah, we, we super appreciate it. It means the world to us. Yeah, honestly, thank you, guys. We are... So like two and a half years in to this passion project of ours, all of your support this entire time has meant the world to us. Thank you all so much, whether you're patrons, whether you, you know, drop words or whether you just hang out with us a couple hours each week and, you know, love to sit and hear and talk about some awesome Nintendo news. We really appreciate everything that you guys have done for us. Namaste. 
Namaste. Another one down. Big show this week. A lot of things to cover and talk about, but we got through it. We We're did. here at the end of the day. We're all still here. We still love and respect each other. And um, we got a bunch of, I mean, the, the holiday craziness has officially kicked off. We're, you know, not only are we in the middle of spooky season, we just got Mario Rabbids. Yes. We just got Persona 5. Oh, God. We got Bayonetta oh, next my God. week. We got some, it's know, ridiculous. It's been a crazy episode, Seth. I think we, I think you and I both deserve a little bit of Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope this weekend. I agree. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, indulge this weekend. I don't blame you. I think I'm going to indulge a little bit this week. As a matter of fact, we kind of have to. We've got to get through this game because we've got again, we got Persona Five, we got Bayonetta coming just next week, and of course, of course, the cloud version of Resident Evil Village coming next week as well. Oh, right. Day. How could I forget? I know. I'm I'm being a jerk. <laughs> I genuinely hope when it comes out, all the issues have been ironed out. I genuinely hope the cloud versions of all those RE games are fantastic. If you're looking for something else to play this spooky season leading up to Halloween, again, there is a certain Umber Witch with a threequel coming out the same day. I know that's what Seth and I are going to be playing. If you don't want mm-hmm. to, we understand, but there's way too many games, way too many awesome games to get mm-hmm. bogged down and being depressed about a few. But until next week, guys, I have been Layers of Eric. And I have been Bioseth Infinite Burial at Seth. We'll see you next week. We love you guys very much. Bye! Bye!